Does Ben actually like puns because he groans a lot and seems sad <laughs> when he makes them? Do they cause him physical discomfort? I'm interested in this answer too, actually. Uh... Hi, I'm Liz with Flux. I'm Ben McKenzie. Welcome to Pratt Chat, the monthly Terry Pratchett book club podcast. Each month, we discuss one of Terry Pratchett's books with a special guest. This month, we're not doing that at all. And we're recording remotely for the first time. So, hi, Liz. Hi, Ben. It's weird not being able to see you. I know. It's weird not being in the same room. I, a lot of podcasts record like this all the time, but we don't. Yeah, I'm going to have to get like a photograph of you to look at and pretend I'm talking to you or something. <laughs> I mean, I guess I kind of am doing that with your little icon on my screen right now but it's strange yours is just blank i'm just staring as at it a, should be it should very, be mysterious <laughs> i'm just staring at a very simple um icon of a of a person it's just a circle and a half circle what were you gonna say um that, that is what i look like how how dare you oh no no <laughs> I, I feel i feel awful i'm so sorry um this is terrible but this is not this is not our regular format at all um because for starters we don't have any guests it's just you and me today Mm, and occasionally the resident Pratt cat, but he might be snoozing under a couch at the moment. Who knows? Oh yeah, but Toby is here somewhere, but he's being very good and very quiet. Um, but That's yes. unusual for him. I know he's usually so talkative, but he's he's managed to like tone it down for today, which is nice of him. I thought. Uh, but yes, no, we we are. We thought we'd have a bit of a pause. It's episode number thirty, Liz. Yeah, bit of a milestone. We should be having a party for it or something. We should. We should. We should have a cake. What is the 30th anniversary? Which which thing is that? I'm going to look it up. All right. Oh, it's it's Pearl. Pearl? So it is, what is it, like um, oyster vomit is, is what it is? <laughs> Gross. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but, you know, after 30 episodes, we thought it might be appropriate to take a bit of a pause and look back at what we've done so far and also make sure there's an opportunity for new readers and new listeners to jump on board. If you've missed our previous episodes when they were being recorded, obviously you can't miss them. They're, it's a podcast. They're always there. <laughs> but if you didn't get to them when we were recording them, you didn't get to ask any questions. So we opened the door to questions about previous books, about the series as a whole, about our experience of making the podcast and our ideas about Pratchett and the Discworld. And we got loads of questions, didn't we, Liz? Yeah, like way more than I was expecting, which is very exciting. And I'm actually really looking forward to getting stuck into some of them because I wasn't sure what to expect, but um, you really come out in droves with the interesting interesting takes and questions. All right. Well, speaking of beginners, we found a few that were good questions for people who are starting out with Terry Pratchett or the Discworld or indeed with this podcast. So why don't we start with some of those? Yeah. Would you like to read the first one, Ben? Um, so Anna writes in via Twitter, I'm intimidated by the size of his repertoire, but mm-hmm. someone I really like, really likes Pratchett. Where do I even start? Well, that's a big question to start with. I know, but we got to, we do need to address it. We sometimes talk about starting books on the podcast, but it's not, 
an easy question to answer, really, is it? It's because there isn't a correct answer. Um, mm. It's very personal, I think. And also, maybe there isn't even an incorrect answer. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've talked about the fact that most of the books are written so that you could start with them. Hmm. And even the ones that are harder to get into, I don't think would necessarily put you off from continuing. They might just raise some questions in you to like to go back and read some earlier ones to give them context. Yeah, usually you know everything you need to know to understand the plot and characters of the book. And, and it's just there's a few things that refer back to um, previous books. or And usually it's not a very big reference. It's usually pretty subtle. I think it's like joining a friendship group perhaps after there's like they've been friends for a while mm. if you jump in sort of halfway but it's not as though you can't sort of catch up yeah you just don't have the opportunity to say to those friends what do you mean when you say that why do you call that guy prawn you know like that's <laughs> that you don't get to ask that question of a book but um oh, i absolutely I, would ask that question though <laughs> well i i still think you know one of the best ways to do it is just to read the blurbs of a few of the books and see which one appeals the most and just read that one so if there's a theme or a, or a character that just seems to leap out at you, uh, start there. Well, isn't that just ridiculously logical? <laughs> I know. But, I mean, that's hard, though. Like, there's 41 Discworld books. You don't want to read through 41 blurbs just to figure out which one to read first. I still recommend my approach, which, I mean, I guess we can't do at the moment because of social isolation, which is to go to the library and see which one is in the returns pile waiting to be reshelved because obviously someone has read that one and that means it's good. <laughs> You could, though, if you're borrowing electronically, as many you don't libraries... don't know what's in the returns pile. Well, I, there must be a digital equivalent. Uh, like, maybe if you do a search of the books that are available digitally to loan. And, and if you're not aware of this, please do check this out with your local library. If you remember, a lot of them do have access through apps to loan mm. you books digitally. So, it, it's just like buying a book for your ebook reader, but you don't get to keep it forever. You just get it for a limited time. So yeah, just do, like a normal library book. Yeah, exactly. Surely, when you're searching, there must be like this one's been searched this many times or borrowed this many times. Like they must have something like that. So maybe that that could work. Hmm. Yeah. All right. And but I mean, thank you for not pointing out the giant flaw in my thing being that just because it's been borrowed doesn't mean it's good. But yeah, <laughs> it means it's popular though. That's 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 another metric that's fine to judge books by. True. Um. But there are the classic ones to start with that you can. You can choose to start within like the themed of books. So you can choose to start within the watch. You can choose to start within the witch's books and go chronologically to the beginning of that. But that's another mm. approach that people take. Yeah. So if you think you're going to enjoy the books about a coven of witches who are very smart and powerful, but also, I don't know, how else would you describe them to someone who hasn't read the books, Liz? Funny and kind of like, <laughs> you know, the local book club where there's just different personalities brought together over a common thing hmm. that aren't wouldn't necessarily come together outside of that. Yeah. So would you say uh, starting with Weird Sisters would be a good choice? I reckon that'd be a good choice. Or would um, you go back to Equal Rights? Mm, I think both are good options, but I'd probably go for Weird Sisters. Yeah. yeah how about you? What do you think? Um, well, I think if you like The Witches, yeah, Weird Sisters is a good solid start. It's hard because you, you want to give very personal recommendations and chat to the person and sort of find out what they're into, what other books they like, because then you can make a really personal recommendation. It's kind of like recommending comedy, which I used to try and do at comedy festivals. People go, I want to see something funny. And I go, okay, well, we need to narrow it down more than that. 
you know, what kind of things do you think are funny? What kind of jokes do you like? Yeah, I had a friend who um, asked me to recommend him a Terry Pratchett book and I accidentally sent him a giant wall of text as I flim-flammed and was indecisive about which one it was going to be. I would finally settle on one and then I'd go, oh, no, actually this one. I finally chose one for him and I'm not sure if he's read it yet um, and I'm a bit too scared to follow up in case I was wrong. Oh, no. Okay. Well, look, why don't we just give a few options that are good solid starters uh, for anyone who's, who's just coming to this and they're like, I've always wanted to read these and I haven't got into it. So I think if you want to start with The Witches, Weird Sisters is probably good. I, I love Equal Rights, but it, it is a different style. Um, mm. and probably, you know, and I, someone did make a comment about this, uh, recently where they felt we were maybe a bit harsh on those early books. I, I don't feel like I was harsh on them at all. I love them a lot. I think though you do have to recognize that the style and tone is different to the later books. So if you're trying to get into the series and get a feel for them, those early books don't necessarily accurately give you an idea of what the other books are going to be like. Yeah, loving something but slightly less doesn't make it harsh. It's just an assessment. I think, and it is objectively different because he was finding his voice, developing the world. It does change across, as it would, like if you're writing anything across that period of time, you'd have to change. Otherwise, you'd grow so bored with it, you wouldn't be able to write it. Yeah, for sure. I reckon then Weird Sisters, if you think the witches sound like your thing. Mm -hmm. Mort is a good solid choice as well. If you yeah. like the idea of a friendly anthropomorphic version of death. I mean, you can find that for like quite a few of them, but it's more is actually quite a good all-rounder start if you're not sure where you want to go. Yeah. Because it gives you a taste of a few different things, as does Men at Arms, which is a good introduction to The Watch, but it also introduces you to the world and Ankh-Morpork more specifically in, in a kind of taster plate style as well. Yeah, and you know, it's also... You know, obviously, that's the Pratchett star as well. So if you want to follow us, uh, that's a great one to start with. You can go all the way back to our first episode. If you want to like get into the Watch series uh, at its very start, then Guards, Guards is a, is a good choice. If you like a good mystery, Guards, Guards is... A who has done it. Yeah. Men at Arms is probably a better who's done it. Yeah. I mean, Feet of Clay like is, dragons, is a far better maybe Guards, Guards. Yeah, if you, if you like dragons, then guards, guards. If you like a whodunit, then maybe men at arms or even feet of clay. Although men mm-hmm. at arms might be a better starting one. Any other good ones to start with? I mean, you could also just start at the beginning. If if high fantasy is your bag, like if you're really into Dungeons and Dragons and fantasy novels in general, then you probably will really enjoy The Color of Magic, and mm. it will be a bit different. Uh, but you know, I read them all in order, starting from The Color of Magic, and I loved it so. I I think that would work fine for other people as well. And you can sort of see how it evolves chronologically, which is also there's there's something to be said for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, mm. All right, well, hopefully that's given Anna a few options and anyone else who's a new reader. And, you know, again, maybe one of these days we should do a personalised recommendation service, Liz. Like there's yeah. some way people can write in and say, what book should I begin with? And we have like a standard set of questions I mean, we also keep talking about doing this flowchart, which we haven't talked about publicly. I'm saying it now on the podcast so mm. that we feel compelled to finish it because I think it's a great idea. Yeah, and it's going to be great when we do it. I think it's going to be really good. Can I throw in a controversial last book that I think is a good starting point? Yeah, hit me. Going Postal, I think, is actually quite a good starting one because it is the start of a sub-series, like the most fun Lipwig ones. It does introduce you to a cross-section of things. Yes, it is a later book, but I also think it is a strong indicator of what Pratchett is like and a good kind of all-rounder one. 
I would absolutely agree. And I, I think also, you know, its themes are very, well, they're more modern, I guess, is mm. for want of a better term, because there's plenty of themes across all of the books that still ring true and relevant now. But I think, yeah, it's it's a good contemporary one. No, that's a great choice. Thank you. All right. Should we do some more questions? Because we've got a lot of them and I am do. excited. We've got a couple others that are related to starting with the books. So why don't we mm. hit those first because we can riff off the answer we just gave. Dave2718 on Instagram um, asked a couple of questions, but the one we'll cover here is, does the best starting place vary by your age? And I, I reckon it does. Do you reckon? Mm. It's hard to answer because absolutely yes, but also how does your age fit with your personality as well? Sure. So, yeah. But, I mean, if we look at the broad spectrum of readers – Absolutely, because there are books specifically tailored to younger readers as well. Mm. And there's also things that I've gotten more interested in as I've gotten older or understood a bit better as I've gotten older. So I think absolutely, yes. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. I mean, I started reading them when I was in my late teens or mid-teens. No, that's that's a lie. Early teens. I was probably about 13. That took me way too long to figure out. Um, Your first teen. Yeah, my initial teen. Um, yes, but <laughs> Ovaltine. I just, I just wanted to say it. <laughs> yeah, but obviously, if you're talking about younger readers, there are books written expressly for younger readers, like the Tiffany Aching books, and obviously some of the non-Discworld stuff as well. I think, I think when people ask where to start, though, they're really asking about Discworld, aren't they? Hmm. Absolutely. I think if you're a bit older, then going postal is probably a great start because it's got some more adult themes in it. The main character gets a new job, and it's not an exciting job. It's like a job in a post office uh, and there's like references to office life and, you know, redundant jobs and all that kind of stuff that I think if you were younger and you hadn't had that kind of experience, maybe wouldn't resonate with you as well. And he's having to get rid of a, a bit of like the things that he enjoyed, like his youthful indiscretions and that kind of thing as well. Like he's having to leave a section of himself behind. And I think that also appeals when you're old. not that you have to leave a section of yourself behind, but I think, Sometimes you hit a point in your life, you're like, okay, it's time to get serious. Even yeah. though it, he's not kind of necessarily choosing that for himself. Yeah. So I think that's a good one if you're an adult. And for younger readers, obviously, there's the younger ones. If you're somewhere in between, like if you're in your late teens or early 20s and and you're not really sure, um, I think Mort is a really good one for that. It's kind of a, a growing up kind of book, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's a good one for that because it is a coming of age story. And not just for him. Mm. Yeah. So I thought that was a really insightful question from Dave. So thank you, Dave. Mm. Now, we also had one from Frank Penn on Instagram who says, I'm dyslexic and it took me a really long time to get into Terry Pratchett because of all the wordplay. Yeah, I can imagine that would be difficult. Mm. I remember being so interested and frustrated at about 16 that I asked my dad to read The Color of Magic aloud to me and explain any bits I got stuck on. Which books for older readers do you think are best suited to reading aloud? Oh, that's a good question. Thank you for that context, Frank Penn, because that's an experience I wouldn't have thought of. Mm. I mean, look, I'm biased. I think Pratchett in general is a fantastic, he's just a fantastic writer to read aloud. And it is partly because of that wordplay. His use of language is so wonderful that it's a pleasure to read. And it's really funny, which makes it a pleasure to read as well. So I, I think, honestly, you can read all of them. I agree with that, but I also would put in 
extra votes for the watch books because I think there is perhaps more of a dissection of characters because it is a police force dealing with criminals and lots of the guilds that there are a lot of things to work with that are interesting to hear read aloud, like different ways of speaking. And all the books have that, but I think in the watch books in particular, there's more emphasis on quirks of personality expressed through dialogue. So mm. that could be a good one to do. And also like the witches books, because the three main witches, they're quite different. And Nanny Og is always a delight to hear aloud. Yes. No, I think that's, I think that's very smart. I, I agree with you. Um, I would say that some of the wizards books work quite well on that, but they usually don't have a stronger plot. And I think when you're being read to a bit like when you're listening to a podcast, it can be tricky to keep track of a lot of different characters. I think the watch does okay. Cause usually there's only three or four of them who are really, you know, in the foreground, even though there's a lot more of them. Um, but the wizards are a bit interchangeable, and as much as I like reading them, it could be a bit more difficult to follow if you're listening to it read aloud, perhaps. Are you also saying that we should have a plot to this to keep people's interest? Because um, I actually did bury some treasure in your house, which will explode in 40 minutes if you don't find it. So, mm. oh, oh my god! Okay, it's a all right. Series look, of I'll, clues. I'll be looking uh, as we record. Um, oh, okay, hopefully that's hooked in the listeners now. If you weren't already. Um, <laughs> Well, look, thank you to those people who asked some good starter questions. Hopefully that's given you a few ideas of where to start in a few different ways. If you violently disagree, um, we would love to hear from you and have a discussion on our social media. Yeah, it is a contentious topic where to start. But I think, you know, The Color of Magic, Mort, Men at Arms or Guards, Guards, Weird Sisters or Equal Rights or, or um, Going Postal, those are all very good I was about to just say books. Moist and I was like, no, no, it's Going Postal. <laughs> Do you think, okay, here's a question I've got for you that I just thought of. Do you think Terry Pratchett named him Moist von Lipwig just because he knew some people either really are upset by or make a big scene about being upset by the word moist? Absolutely, because he's supposed to be like, and I, I don't think he's supposed to be a polarizing character, but he's not supposed to be a comfortable character. So calling him Moist, I think, just... It already makes you predisposed to be a bit suspicious of him, as you should be. <laughs> yes. Okay. Mm. Um, all right. Well, shall we get into some of our other questions? We've got so many. This episode's pretty much going to be questions, uh, mm. which I think is is great. And thank you to everyone who's sending questions for today. There are a lot of you, so we might not get to all of the questions, but we'll do our best. Yeah. So this one's from Anna on Twitter. Are there movies slash TV slash other adaptations? And what's the best one? So, wow. part one, yes. Yes, yes, there are. Um, there are at least, uh, let's see, well, there's at least five, aren't there? Because there's the three live action yeah. ones, which are kind of like two-part telemovies. Yes, Going Postal, Hogfather, and The Color of Magic. Hmm. And I like all of those, but personally, I think Hogfather is the best one. I think Going Postal is very good, but I think Hogfather's maybe slightly better. I don't know why I think that. It's been a while since I've watched Going Postal. It's a good question. I think we're going to have to watch them all again and have to assess from a fresh palette, basically. Yeah. yeah, definitely. It's worth noting, too, that all of those ones, the live action adaptations that originally made for Sky TV in the UK, are available via streaming service. They're all on, I think it's Amazon Prime in Australia. Uh, which probably means they're on Amazon Prime everywhere. I'm not 100% sure about that. But they're definitely available on there in Australia, which is awesome because uh, mm. you can watch them uh, and they're great. Uh, well, I say they're great. I haven't watched the Color of Magic one because as I've previously mentioned on the podcast, 
I am unhappy with the casting of one of the main characters, but I will watch <laughs> it eventually. I will, I will do it. Yeah, it's the law. We have to watch it for the podcast. Yeah. But just to, you know, Hogfather is the Christmassy themed one. I'm saying this for Anna's benefit and any other new listeners who aren't familiar with these stories. Going Postal is the one we've just talked about. Liz, how would you briefly sum up the premise of Going Postal? Going Postal is about a con man who has been sentenced to death, but actually he's given the chance of a new life if he accepts a job as Postmaster General of the failing Ankh-Morpork post office, but he has to fight against what is the equivalent of the internet and what ensues is a whole lot of competition and there's also a dastardly plot happening in the background from some shady characters. So it's a, it is kind of a who has done it with also some office jokes in the meantime. Yeah. And then uh, The Color of Magic is an adaptation of the first two novels and it's very sort of weird high fantasy running around having adventures being chased by wizards kind of stuff. Hmm. Yeah. And I, not having seen it, I don't know how much they leave out. I should just watch it. I should just suck it up and, and watch it. Well, I've never watched it either, so maybe we should do that. Yeah. And these are, like, they are on a kind of a BBC level special effects budget, and they do so well on it. They use a lot of mm. practical costumes. Like, there's a golem character in Going Postal who is a guy in a golem costume, but he looks so good. Mr. Pump is so good. I will say that the animated adaptations that were done earlier by Cosgrove Hall um, of two of the stories, so there's one of Weird Sisters, which is the kind of witches as the protagonists in a story that's kind of a bit Hamlet and kind of a bit Macbeth. It's pretty great. And then there's Soul Music, which is uh, Fantasy World is invaded by rock and roll and Death, the Grim Reaper, decides he's got to do something about it. <laughs> as does his estranged granddaughter, Susan, um, who doesn't really know that she's Death's granddaughter and sort of has to figure it out as things go along. The soundtrack to that is phenomenal because in the book, as rock and roll comes to the disc world, there's a lot of songs that are clearly based on songs from our world, but they don't. you can't just transplant them into the disc world because it's a weird sort of medieval fantasy world. Um, verging on sort of industrial revolution times. And so there's a lot of things that are parodies and puns of those songs. And in the book, you can just get away with mentioning them. But in the TV show, you've got to hear the music and they do an amazing job. Um, so even if you don't watch that one, do check out the soundtrack. Excellent. To keep things brief, we've concentrated on the completed adaptations of Terry's Discworld works. But there are quite a few others including some of the Johnny Maxwell stories and the first volume in the Truckers trilogy. We discussed those a little bit in the episodes about those books. One work we really should mention, though, is the Australian short film Trollbridge, based on the short story of the same name. It's, by all accounts, magnificent, and we hope to talk about it on the podcast in future, but unfortunately, because of the special licensing agreement given to the production team as a fan production, if you didn't back their crowdfunding campaign, you won't get a chance to see it. The next question is from Des, which is, how did you guys meet and discover a shared interest in the work of the great man? How did we meet? That's a good question. It was a long time ago now. I know when we met in person, but like, I feel like I knew you on Twitter before then, but that was like yeah. when I was not really on Twitter very much. The first time I clearly remember meeting you in person was at our mutual friend Lawrence's housewarming, I think. 
Yes, it was funny because it was a housewarming for a housemate that had gotten a spot in the house that I had applied for. That's right. Yes. <laughs> I think that was the first time we met in person. Yeah, I remember you, that. Because yeah. you'd not long moved to Melbourne at that point, I think. The day before. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> Almost immediately. So I could not have met you much earlier unless I, you know, went to Adelaide. So I'm yeah. I'm pretty sure that was the first time in person. But like, I think what had happened is also I had gotten one of those, you know, Twitters things where they accidentally send a message out to everyone you follow and you had sent me a thing being like, hey, I think you've been hacked. And I was like, thank you. And I changed my password. And that was before because uh, I remember yeah. mentioning that. Yeah, yeah. And I think I was following you probably because you were you writing about stuff at the Adelaide Fringe? Yes. That yeah. was probably it then. That would have been it. It was nine years ago. Ah, uh, okay. So that's when we met in person. And then I probably mm. would have found you on Twitter maybe the year before-ish. I don't know. Anyway, so that's good. Yeah. I know how yeah. I found out that we shared a love of Pratchett, though, because I don't think we ever talked about it in person. No, we didn't. But when, after he died, you came up with the idea of doing a, a book club where we'd reread all his books. Yeah. And we absolutely did not. <laughs> no, we absolutely did not. I mean, we created a Facebook group for it and everything, and then yeah. uh, we just, nobody had the time. Uh, and I said, hey, that would make a great idea for a podcast. And then I think I pestered you about it every few months for about two years <laughs> until until we actually we did it. Yeah, now here we are, two and a half years into the actual podcast. There you go. That's how we met. Good question, Des. That was nice That's to relive. <laughs> yeah, and figure out. Like it was like a whodunit, but of meeting. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a when, a when, when did it? That's uh, <laughs> not as catchy. Um, this one's from Sven Uckerman. What editions of books are your favorite in the overall look? And when do we get more Ook Club? So, um, part two, real soon. And for those who don't know, Ook Club is a side podcast we do, um, for our possible subscribers, which we do every so often where we do all kinds of stuff like quizzes, specific discussions, other questions. Yeah. It could be anything. And we don't, we don't really have a set schedule for it, although we do try and push one out every couple of months. Um, recent events have made that a little difficult, but we will be pushing out a new one very soon after this episode goes out. So keep an eye out for that if you're a subscriber. It is coming your way soon. Um, Can you please stop calling it pushing out? Cause it's just, that's the image. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Digitally, digitally. <laughs> there's, there's, there's no, it's not, it's me in a big box full of sound and I'm just shoving it out my door. Um, <laughs> Does that improve the image that you have? It certainly does, actually. Okay, good. I'm glad. The box is painted like a spaceship. I hope you know that. Oh, no, I didn't know that, but I'm very happy yes. about it. Mm. Now, what about part one? The, which, what editions of the books are your favorite? Okay, I really like the new hardcover releases that don't have dust covers because I have this thing where I um, remove the dust cover to protect the dust cover because you can't damage your dust cover, even though it exists to protect the hardback. So mm. I like that they've done away with that. And I also, they're just very fancy. They're inlaid. They've got indents in them. Sometimes they've got like foil as well. It's just, they're very beautiful. Mm. And that's the collector's library editions. Mm. And they haven't, they haven't quite done all of them yet. I think my favorite of those would be the one for Thud, which we haven't covered on the podcast yet, but I just really love the cover of that one. Yeah, they're, they're releasing them slowly one by one and they're just, mm. they're very cleverly done. And this is where I feel fortunate that when I read them, I didn't own them. I borrowed them from the library a lot of the time. And now for the podcast, I've been buying them mm. if the library doesn't have one readily available. So I have a very patchy collection, but I'm not doubling up. I've tried not to. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I do own multiple copies of some books. I own like two copies of Good Omens and 
I think I have about six or seven copies of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in various different editions. I did at one point. Yeah, I do double up a lot. Yeah, yeah. I thought I might try and collect all the editions of it uh, because there's so many good ones, but I have not done that, which is probably for the best for my bank account. There are a couple of Pratchett's that you can get as editions from the Folio Society. Mm. They're actually not outrageously expensive, and I have thought about that quite a few times. I think they're about seventy or eighty dollars, and I forget which ones they are. I think got Mort. I think I think Small Gods is another one, Mm. which is one of my favorites still. So one of these days, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have I have two Folio Society books, and they are very treasured. Oh wow, which one? Which ones have you got? So I've got Howl's Moving Castle, Ooh. and I've got Brave New World, and they come in a slip cover, and it's just it's just so good. That sounds amazing. I, I keep meaning mm. to buy the Hitchhiker's Guide one, but I just haven't got around to it. One of these days, yeah. not 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 in the current work climate, but maybe soon. Yeah. Um, next one is from Nathan J. Phillips. If you had the opportunity to have Sir Terry as a guest for one of your recordings, which book would get the honor? Well, I think realistically, if we got him on the podcast, we would do a special one where we would just talk to him. Uh, mm. But let's work within the bounds of the question. Which book would you want him to talk about? This is a really tough one because it's like, do you choose your favorite book and you want to just dissect questions with him? Or do you choose like a a milestone book in the series? Like, I'm inclined to go with the first one or the last one because I feel like there'd be a lot to say in summary that way so like mm. what? so like, it would be really interesting to get his thoughts on the color of magic and if he'd do things differently now yeah um, and also on the last one on looking back over all of them in some ways like that could be an interesting discussion I think, yeah. as well that's interesting because when you said milestone book i kind of went in the opposite direction and i thought which one in the middle really marks the change in tone and style and uh, I think I'd probably run with something quite, um, yeah, kind of around that middle area, like maybe maybe Men at Arms. Like I feel like that's mm. kind of a turning point for the series um, or Small Gods or something around that time, which is sort of around the, you know, sort of the after he'd written a dozen or so and he'd really gotten into the flow and just ask, you know, what was different for you? Or, actually, this is the other thought, there was that one year where he wrote five books or he published <laughs> five books in a year, and pick one of those and just ask, how on earth did you do this? Or, um, as Australians, it could be fun to talk about The Last Continent with him. Oh, yeah, that would be fun. Because I have heard that he really loves Australia, so I'm sure it'd be wonderful to hear where all of those stories came from. Hmm. All right, moving on to the next question. This is from the Hail and Well Met podcast. Which Discworld novel do you think is most politically on point? My top three would be The Truth, Jingo, and The Fifth Elephant, which is interesting because we've only covered one of those on the podcast, and I feel like Mm. we have covered some pretty topical, relevant books. Yeah, it's hard to pick because it depends on what politically resonates with you because like some of the witches' ones, their points on feminism are still very topical sadly so Mm. i mean equal rights is like 30 years old sure doesn't feel like it though does it no no it really doesn't uh which is (laughs) yeah a sad indictment uh, upon us all but you're right i mean i think jingo i mean it changes too Nightwatch, maybe, yeah. I, it's been a long like time since I've read it. The one based on Les Mis. 
but yeah. But also, we don't want to get too much into, and I should have said this up the front, but we don't want to get too much into books we haven't covered yet because we do try to have a policy of not spoiling books we haven't yet discussed on the podcast. Mm. So, I agree with that list. It is a solid list of three. It is a good list. I mean, I think Small Gods, it's got a lot of interesting things to say about institutionalized religion and what happens when people believe in the institution more than in the religion itself and and when that replaces the faith that is supposed to fuel those sort of institutions. And I really appreciate Avril, uh, our guest for that episode where we talked about Small Gods, insight into that. Um, But I think that's, that's pretty evergreen in terms of its relevance. Yeah, I I really can't pick one because they kind of all are in their own way or a lot Mm. of them are. It just depends on what the topic is. Going postal, I think, too. Hmm. But, yeah, there's so many. I mean, there's and there's little bits in all of them. I mean, Men at Arms has some amazing bits that are hugely politically relevant. Mm. Yeah, so I'm going to weasel out with you. I'm going to suggest that. Uh, it's too hard. <laughs> yeah. It's too hard to and pick one. And we're leaving one. it. We're taking our ball and going home. Yeah. Yeah. We're done. Uh, yeah. No, no. Um, With but, Twitter anyway. Yeah, that's true. Let's move on to some questions that we got via Instagram. And by the way, if you want to make any comments about this podcast or shoot us any other questions that you want to chat about on social media, you can use the hashtag PrattChat30. That's PrattChat30. Uh, and you can find us on social media. We're on PrattChat Podcast on Twitter. Uh, Pratchett Podcast on Instagram, and you can just search for Pratchett or Pratchett Podcast on Facebook as well. Uh, but let's get some Instagram questions, Liz. This one's from Lila Rage or, or Layla. I'm sorry if I've gotten it wrong. What's your favorite watch slash Vimes book? That is so difficult to answer because I love him in everything, but mm. I do have an answer. It is Night Watch because I love time travel and backstory. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think that's definitely going to be up there for me. I'm going to try and constrain myself to just the ones we've read already. And I think for me, it's Feet of Clay. I just think it's such a great whodunit. Like, I think it's the best of the whodunits. Um, mm. And as much as I really love Men at Arms, I find it sad. <laughs> I, I don't know yeah. if I can, because one of my favorite characters in that book does die. I won't say which one, just in case you haven't read mm. it. But yeah, it's it's rough in that way. But I, yeah, I really loved Rereading Feet of Clay, so far, I think that's my favorite watch book. But that may well change once we read a few more because there's quite mm. a few more to go. <laughs> so that was a great question. Um, next one is another one from Dave2718. Whose story arcs would you like to have seen more of? I love Tiffany Aching, but I reckon a book with Agnes Nitt would be Ace. Yeah, she does. Now, look, this might be my lack of memory because it's been such a long time since I've read them. And we've only read the first Agnes Nip book, really. I mean, she does appear mm. in Lords and Ladies, but her first book as a real main character is Masquerade. She is in, is she in Kappa Yugulum as well? She does show up in that. Oh, I can't remember. Yeah. You know, we're a little fuzzy on a lot of the books we haven't reread, but from mm. memory, Agnes sort of is in a couple of the books and is great in them and then just kind of disappears. She's a great contender for sure. She does deserve her own book, I agree. Like her own dedicated book. Yeah, where she's the main protagonist. I yeah. mean, she she is great in Masquerade, although she is kind of undermined by the way she's described in the text quite a lot, as we yeah. discussed on the Masquerade episode. But she's a great character. I kind of would have liked to have seen maybe Tepic come back. Mm-hmm. Because he was a really great character, and he was clearly going to have a very different kind of adventure next. Yeah. And I think Pyramids is very much one that I was like, oh, I'd love more of just this in general, but 
Mm. We kind of get a glimpse of that world and then it's gone. Yeah. I think also like to talk about a non-Discworld book, I really would have liked to have seen, and I, and we know that there was one in the works, uh, a sequel to Dodger because ah. I I loved it so much and it was such a, a, a brilliant surprise. And yeah, I would love to have seen more of that. I mean, I, I think what we got was great uh, and I don't begrudge it. I don't think it left us on a, a terrible cliffhanger or anything, but I think what would have come next would have been really interesting because I'm not really sure what it would have been. I think I would have liked to see a bit more of Alfred, Death's friend slash butler. Oh, yeah. A bit of a flashback book about him, perhaps, or even just more of him laced through past things. Like, I just want to, I want to see more of him in the mortal world to get more mm. of an idea of him. Like, I feel like I have a good idea of him. But yeah. And here's another one, which is going to be a strange one because we see him a lot. Um, Dibbler. I huh. have. I yeah. Mean, what is Dibbler's family like? Like, what was his childhood like? What does he do when he goes home? Yeah. That's a good question. And I mean, both of those characters, Albert and, and Dibbler, they show up a lot, but they're very rarely major players. Like Dibbler has a big role in moving pictures mm. and in, um, uh, soul music. But even in, in soul music, he's still very much a supporting character. Moving pictures is really the only one where he's a real major driver of the plot. Oh, you know what though? What about one with Albert and Dibbler forced to team up together to do some uh, sort of thing? That would be amazing. Oh, man. Albert would hate that so much. Yeah, that exactly. could be amazing. Like some sort of magical com- commerce disaster. <laughs> and then um, Dibbler would find out that he works with death and try and find a way to monetize that. It'd be, just, it'd be so good. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. I'm sold. That would have been amazing. Yeah. I feel like that's going to be a handy answer to another question that we've got coming up, but we'll, we'll try. The next to, one, we'll, actually. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. But yeah, um, um, this one from Larson Alanders. If you had the task as a publisher to continue Pratchett's legacy with more Discord books, how would you solve that task? And what would the first book be about? So not the buddy cop movie between um, Dibbler oh. and Albert, even though I would love to read that. That would be down the line. It's amazing. That, that answer actually is going to work for three different questions. I wasn't even thinking of this one. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, well, well, what would you do if you were going to, if there's going to be more Discworld books? And we should say that, you know, the official line is that there won't be. Rihanna Pratchett, Terry's daughter, who is one of the people who directs the company that takes care of all of his intellectual property, has said that even though she has the permission to do so, if she wanted to, she's not going to write any more Discworld books. And I, look, I respect that decision. I mean, how, how would you, you know? So first of all, I absolutely would not, um, if, like, I just would not, I think one, someone's done they're done Mm. but i also understand this as a question and as a fan so if it was happening if he was happy for it to happen those being the circumstances i would like to see that dodger sequel is one of the things because i feel like Mm -hmm. that was already in the works like you said Mm. more moist von lipwig yeah i think i think he had some more adventures in him for sure and so like how how would you solve that task i guess like that's also a big part of the question because like I don't think it would be easy to get people to accept a Discworld book not written by Terry Pratchett. Like I certainly would be suspicious of it when th- there's been remakes of Agatha Christie books as well, and I have not had a bar of it. And mm. I don't think even if everyone I trusted said these are great, I probably still wouldn't be interested. It's a hard thing to overcome. 
Yeah, I think the closest equivalent is when um, they decided to write a sixth Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy novel, and they got Ian Colford to do it, and I didn't like it very much. And I try to be very positive when I'm thinking about things. Obviously, I, I do try to be critical and think critically, and that's obviously come across on the podcast sometimes, but I, I try to look on the, the bright side of things, and I really wanted to like And Another Thing, which was that sixth book. But I guess I think at the outset I just didn't feel like we needed one. But then I I tried I got real excited about it when it was happening. I was like, well, it's coming out. I might as well read it. And yeah, it just felt very disappointing. Um, I think he made a smart decision in not trying to ape Douglas Adams's style. And I think if you were going to write more Discworld books, I think the safest way to do it would be to write stories set on the Discworld, but have them written in the style of the person writing them. Like I can imagine one of, one of my favorite fantasy mm. authors right now is Ben Aronovich, who writes the uh, Rivers of London sort of urban fantasy mystery wizard detective novels. And I feel like if he wrote a Discworld book in his style, it could be amazing. Like, cause then he could invent a whole new character who maybe lived in, he could be an Ankh-Morpork, could live somewhere else, but could be like, you know, a forensic wizard detective or something and I could see that really working and it feeling like it's its own thing, but it's also part of the disc world. But it's, yeah, I agree with you. It's real hard. But I think that's what I would do is try and find an author whose style would gel with the disc world in one way or another and get them to write something in their own style set in the same world. Yeah, I think that's the only way I'd accept it. And I still don't know if I'd read it. Hmm. But if that were the case, if we did find the perfect writer to write something in their own style set in the Discworld, then I guess what I'd want is to read an Assassin's book, like an Assassin's mm. Guild book, because it's not something that was properly done before because the closest we got was Pyramids. And I feel like then a fresh writer could put their own stamp on it without walking over territory that isn't theirs, for lack of a better way of saying it. Mm. And you could very easily see that having its own tone and its own kind of direction as well. Yeah, I think that's a really mm. good choice. That's really good, yeah. Yeah, it's a great question. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Larson. Next question is from Grace Lee 32 What Discord characters would you like to cross paths that never did? Are there other Terry Pratchett characters that you wish you could interact with Discord ones? See, now this so, this is yeah. where our Albert <laughs> mashup with uh, Dibbler would, would fit in nicely. I kind of feel like there are lots vincent and moist oh now that's a good yeah. one yeah 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 uh i like that i like that a lot we talked about what other characters would you like to see some of the characters from weird sisters actually kind of just disappear like and this might be my bias because you know i'm an i'm an actor i come from a theatrical background in terms of my career i would love to see more stories if there were going to be more that featured the actors and the writers of the disc theater and I feel like they could have lots of cool crossovers with other characters, you know? Hmm. There's so many things you can do with the theatre. Like, it would be amazing to see a crossover between the characters working in the opera house and the characters working at the disc as they try to work yeah. on a modern musical together. <laughs> like, like that could be a, an absolute disaster, which would make for such a funny story. <laughs> um, so I kind of like that idea. What, Achuan and Gaspode? Oh, because <laughs> yeah. what would they talk about they're so different what about Gaspode and um, Maurice from the oh. amazing Maurice would they get along uh, yeah maybe well I think, yeah. well we've got that episode coming up so I think we can discuss it in more detail there 
yeah, we can save it for that. But I, that's, mm. I mean, they're a cat and a dog. Uh, they're not supposed to get along, are they? Uh, Have you not seen those unless, charming pictures of like cats and dogs that are friends? Like, I was just that's about a whole, to say whole thing on the internet. Unless they're in a real wholesome um, internet video, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gaspard would not have one bar of being in a wholesome internet video. <laughs> no, he'd be like, I don't want this. I'm out. No. I'm out. Um, Him and his bow and his bath would be out the door just, just in a shot. Yeah. Um, in terms of other Pratchett characters coming to the Discworld, I think Johnny Maxwell showing up on the Discworld could be fun. And that's the kind of... And very doable too. Well, it's the kind of crazy luck that he gets involved in, right? Like where he ends up. We've only covered the first one of those books so far, although we're going to hopefully do the other two reasonably soon. But he goes into a video game. In the other books, he like meets ghosts and there's some time travel and he could easily hop across dimensions. And also the gnomes. I'd love to see the yeah. gnomes show up on the Discworld. They're flying around through space in a spaceship. Yeah, I feel like if the if the you know gnomes from the Truckers series landed on the Discworld. Yeah, they'd probably seek out the Feagles and want to talk to them. But also, you know, the Feagles don't have the same problems with not being able to be understood by humans, which mm. maybe means the gnomes could interact with Discworld humans as well. Dodger would probably do quite well in Angmorpork because it's very similar. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, when I first saw it, I assumed he was an Angmorpork character. I didn't realize it was a, a, a Dickens pastiche. So, yeah, that could be fun. Yeah, him with um with Dibbler again, Dick, oh. Dodger and Dibbler would be a good one. <laughs> oh no, yeah, or him mm. and Moist. Oh, that yeah. would. Oh, the concept would pull would be just next level. I think it'd be very good. Yeah, it'd be crazy. Oh, okay, all right. Those are some right. those are some tantalizing options. Let's press on. We've got quite a few more questions, so yeah. So this one's from Tim Adams via email. With the new Watch series looking like it's going to be set in a futuristic steampunk-style universe, which book series would you like to see retold in another genre? It's an interesting one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is an interesting one. We haven't talked much about the Watch series on the podcast, and obviously it hasn't come out yet. All we've got are some set photographs and character descriptions, but it's very clearly a new thing based reasonably loosely on the source material, and... Look, I'm here for that. I already have the books. I'm okay for them to try something new. I mean, I hope it's good. If it, if it turns out not to be good, I'll be disappointed. But I'm not going to write it off just because they're doing something a bit different. And I'm hoping it turns out something like the US Dirk Gently TV series, which is really, on the surface, nothing like the original Douglas Adams novels. But I felt it's somewhere in its DNA, um, which is <laughs> that's a that's a Douglas Adams joke, but somewhere in its DNA, it does have that same kind of anarchic weirdness that I felt shone through and I really enjoyed that show. So I'm hoping this turns out somewhat the same and it does, I don't know about futuristic steampunk, I think sort of weird blend of modern day and medieval fantasy is where they're going. Well, Tim's got the example of being a big Witches fan, um, Tim would like to see them retold in a modern day style. So like that's, that's an interesting example as well. Like, yeah, I'm just trying to think. Because The Watch is the one that I'd pick as something I want to see. So now I'm going to try and think of, like, where can we put Moist von Lipwig that, and I, I know I'm jumping ahead, but where can we put Moist von Lipwig in a, in a different context? Like, it's just The Office, but with von <laughs> I don't know. I was thinking I would love to see the wizards in a kind of hidden society of magic users kind of deal. So that there's, there is an unseen university, but it's quite literally unseen and it's in the middle of London. You know, like, I think that could be quite fun. 
Oh, like Harry Potter Diagon Alley kind of. Kind yeah, of thing. but like a more yeah. adult and ridiculous Harry Potter. Uh, seeing them cross over with mortals and non wizards and like our kind. Yeah, could be and, funny. And we have a kind of idea about how that might go because in the science of Discworld books, which we we haven't mm. covered yet, um, they do kind of interact with basically our world. Uh, so yeah, I think that could be cool. Uh, I think that's what I would go for. We've got the Rincewind one where he like briefly sees alternate reality Rincewind, like oh yeah, plane. yeah, in the modern day, yeah. You could do some of the books, maybe Lords and Ladies, but done in like a sort of modern horror comedy style where it's like just set in country England and there's elves coming through a fairy circle. That could be cool. Like Shaun of the Dead yeah. style. Like the comedy is comedy, but the, the horror is horror, you know, like that kind of thing. I think that could work great. Or there's like a beautiful land of like horror elves just living their normal lives and then through one of their circles comes just normal people who have accidentally stumbled into it. And so it causes chaos through not, not wanting to do nefarious things, but just by being there. Yeah. I feel like I'd also like to see a kind of Riverdale slash Sabrina style gritty mm-hmm. reboot of maybe the Johnny Maxwell books or uh, the Truckers books like i think you could do something where you got quite dark and a bit more adult with either of those stories if you wanted to by uh, aging the characters up a little bit or in the case of truckers just making it a bit more grim because like it's it's totally about it's pretty grim yeah it is pretty grim and i think if you played that from an adult perspective you could go to some really interesting places with it um so that could be amazing and we haven't had a tv series about tiny people in a normal sized person's oh, world wow. for quite a long time you know like the borrowers is a long time ago uh, Val- valley of the giant you know the one with the that um the 60s one where it's a spaceship full of humans and they crash land on a planet where everyone's giant it's kind of a bit like gulliver's travels but in space i absolutely did not know about this but i'm glad that i do now uh, it was played on the TV all the time when I was a kid, and it was just an excuse to use enormous props, basically, because uh, <laughs> you'd have. Which like, is always funny. Yeah, <laughs> more of great. that, please. Um, but I think, yeah, these days you could do something really cool with like truckers or or the Johnny books. That would be awesome. I'd I'd love to see that. Um, yeah, same. Yeah. Oh, what a great question. Wait, that is a, such a great question. I'm I'm going to be thinking about that one for a while. I'm going to be thinking yeah. about all of these for a while. I want I want to hear what listeners' answers to that question is. What Terry Pratchett series, either a subseries of the Discworld or one of his other series of books, would you like to see done in a different genre? And what genre would you like to see them in? I think that's a cool question. I'm I'm into it. I mean, what about oh, I could do a Game of Thronesy kind of retelling of the witches' books, couldn't you? Like, which mm. just, it's just all more violent and it's got to be on HBO. <laughs> like, cause there's but some I love horrible Tim's stuff. I thing about the witches being set in modern day. And the example is imagine Granny's comments on influencers and her horror to find out that Nanny is one. <laughs> she absolutely would be. <laughs> she totally would be. She'd have a huge Instagram presence. Uh, yeah, she'd and get right into be TikTok. All like, Look at this bunion or like her, her singing one of her very good songs. Yes. Oh, and of course you can see what that might look like. We might link to a recent video from the Australian Discworld convention where Nanny Og gives you a song to sing while you're washing your hands <laughs> to make sure you're doing it long enough. We might, we'll link to that in the show notes. That was very funny. We saw that recently. It's stuck in my head all yeah. week. Yeah. All right. We did get another question via email. This one's from Luke. Jimenez or Jimenez. Thank you, Luke, for sending in your question. You did have a comment, first of all. Uh, You said, firstly, you wanted to mention that you are shocked that we have never looked into Tiffany Aching. Now, 
Now, I should say that's me. You have read some of them, haven't you, Liz? Yeah, I have read some of them. Yeah, and I've explained this on the podcast before that I kind of when it when it came out and there was a lot of fanfare about it being for younger readers at the time reading young adult fiction was not cool for adults. Like this is, I can't remember if it was pre Harry Potter, but it was certainly around the same time. And I was like, Oh, I'll get around to them eventually. I'll wait for the next adult one to come out. And then I just never did. And I am super looking forward to getting into them and loving them. As Luke says, I got the sense that Tiffany took the most pratchety parts of granny and vimes to make the ultimate author insert character. Wow. Okay. Mm. I don't, I, that sounds Awesome. I can't wait to hear uh, a cross between Granny and Vimes. And Luke says, I'm looking forward to you falling in love with them too. I am looking forward to that. Absolutely. Thanks for that comment, Luke. But Luke also has a question. A common question is what was going to happen after Vetinari dies, Vetinari being the patrician of Ankh-Morpork, for those following along at home. But I always thought it was obvious that Vetinari was grooming Moist von Lipwig for the job, since he also has a devious mind and has a kind of acquired benevolence in no small part Thanks to the stilettos of Adorabel, I'm sure. Now, I think that means he's, he's asking us, what do we think is going to happen when Vetinari dies? I think we might have talked about this in one of the earlier episodes about an earlier book. Yeah, I can't remember what our conclusion was. I know we talked about it, but I mean, I absolutely can see him grooming Moist for the job because he's not grooming Vimes. He's he's grooming Vimes to be the Vimesiest Vimes that ever Vimes. True. But Moist would be a good backup veterinary, I, I think. He'd be quite different too, which I think is is good because, you know, you want yeah. – there's no point in replacing the patrician with someone who's identical and you couldn't find someone who was identical anyway. Oh, it's just started raining. It's quite loud. I'm not sure if you were able to hear it, but that's quite nice. Oh, see, that's weird, isn't it? Because, like, you know, we're in the same city but we're in two very different suburbs and it's not raining <laughs> here. The sun is right out. So I don't know if that means that I'm going to get some rain later on. <laughs> we'll find out, I oh, guess. You never know. Yeah, I think Moist von Lipwig being groomed for the job makes a lot of sense. That does make sense. All right. Well, look, we had some more questions from our Discord members. Mm. So we have a Discord, if you're not familiar with it. It's sort of like a, uh, a live chat platform where you can create your own server with multiple channels. You can do voice chat on there. It's used by a lot of people for video games, but also increasingly for any community that wants to communicate with each other. Uh, it's obviously having a bit of a surge in popularity at the moment, as you might expect. But we have a private one um, just for people who support the podcast. Uh, and they ask some fantastic questions, and we got some great ones this month for this episode. And the first one comes from Patrick O'Duffy. Patrick says, this might be potentially controversial, but what do people think about Pratchett's ability or indeed willingness to write female characters? So this is something we've discussed a little bit in the podcast, um, mm. and I don't think we better give it the time deserves because you could do a full episode on this. But And maybe we should at some point. Yeah, I think it's certainly a big question and an important one. Um, yeah. It's interesting to look back on it now after 29 episodes and looking across, you know, a quite a, a long part of his career where you do see quite a difference. And Patrick makes some interesting points in the question mm. where he says that Pratchett always seemed very comfortable writing older women like mm. Granny and Nanny. And I, I think that's true. That that comes across like all of the witches that he writes are, are pretty awesome. Mm. And he becomes comfortable writing younger women or younger girls like Tiffany Aching when she starts out. But then to him, he says, from Magret to Angua to Susan, he never seemed to be at ease writing young but adult women. And I, I don't look, I, I totally get where he's coming from. I don't know if I totally agree with that. I think Susan, when she gets a bit older, well, I guess that actually does prove his point. Susan, when she gets a bit older, is 
a great character that I think we can all get behind. It's Susan when she's a teenager that's a bit like, hmm, I don't know. And then characters like Kanina the Barbarian, who are sort of younger women, where you're a bit like, uh, they seem to be there to fulfill a romance subplot hole in the in the book. Hmm. Well, Patrick's question goes on to summarize itself is, do Pratchett's adult heroines get short shrift, and does his treatment of them change as he develops as a writer, or maybe even as a father? And I think yes, but we can never know the reason why. It's perhaps just growing confidence as a writer as you learn to write different types of characters, because I do think you get more interesting, more well-developed adult heroines like a Dora Dearheart, for example, later on. Mm. It's interesting that he starts writing Tiffany Aching quite a lot later, and I'm pretty sure that his daughter Rihanna was quite a bit older than Tiffany when he started writing those books, mm. and that the one who's sort of contemporaneous with her in terms of age is Esk from Equal Rights. Mm. He doesn't really introduce a lot of younger women characters until much later. I mean, I guess Magret is kind of a younger woman and she's in it from quite early on, but she's always kind of a bit of the, you know, she's the butt of a lot of jokes. I feel a bit removed from her as a character. Like, I feel like I get Granny and Nanny a lot better, but Magret, any any sense of her, I, I feel from a distance. But I don't know if that's just because I don't relate to her as a character or if be, that's the way she's written. That could just be a personal interpretation. Hmm. Mm. I think you're right, though, and that, that's a that's a pretty deep topic, and it would be good to explore it in general, because as we brushed up against those characters in individual books, we have wondered what's going on there and um, how much better he gets. And, you know, it doesn't, it's not always that he writes those characters badly. I think, for example, Anathema Device in um, in Good Omens is, is pretty great for the most part. Mm, yeah. Um, I think if there's any problem with the sort of young adult character in that book, it's uh, Newton Pulsifer, who's a bit problematic. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I think it's a really good question and we might need to spend more time on it. Yeah, it's a really good launching pad for possibly a whole another episode later on. So thanks for that, Patrick. Um, yeah, we cheers. have a few other questions from Patrick, um, which are slightly lighter, as you point out. So um, with Dodger, what are some other Dickens-based stories and characters you would have liked to see Terry Pratchett tackle? I, this is hard for me to answer because I'm really not, as I mentioned in our Dodger episode, I'm just so not familiar with Dickens, really. Um, I, I would have loved... might have some great expectations of your knowledge. <laughs> well, I mean, the only other one that I know well and the one that I think it would have been amazing to see Pratchett's take on that we kind of get in Hogfather but not quite would be to see his version of A Christmas Carol. Like, mm. I think there could have been something amazing in that. And it's it's one of those stories that is retold so often any story where you go back and see your own past and reassess it is kind of riffing on a christmas carol so he kind of does that in night watch i guess and there's a couple other books where similar things happen i have to confess i'm also not very across dickens is uriah heap a dickens character because that feels very pratchety so i kind of just would like to see him in a book because he's just so cringing and and off and mm. there isn't really a terry pratchett character equivalent but yeah i think going to have to go away and read a bunch of Dickens and come back and respond to this question <laughs> thoroughly. Well, thankfully, Patrick did give us a bit of an escape clause because he does add a question 1.5 uh, and say, <laughs> or indeed other writers, and he suggests he'd like to see some more Pratchett-Shakespeare mashups. I feel like there's little bits of Shakespeare in quite a few of the books, actually. But I, I see what he means, though. Like The only one that's really strongly based plot-wise on it is really Weird Sisters. I absolutely hate Romeo and Juliet as a story. And as a play, so I would love to see Terry Pratchett rip into those two insufferable <laughs> tweens. 
Uh, it is you absolutely would have broken up if they'd stayed together. Yeah. And instead, they just cause all of this nonsense for everyone. Like, I I would have loved to see him rip into them. I think that would have been brilliant. It's it's interesting because I kind of love the play, but it's also one of the ones that I always worry about seeing because my early experiences of it were anytime any uh, amateur dramatic society tried doing Romeo and Juliet, it was awful. It's like one of the easiest Shakespeare's to stuff up because it has so much rhyming. But yeah, that's that's a good take. I think we actually got asked this question on the Weird Sisters episode, um, like what other Shakespeare mm. would you want him to do? I My favourite, and I think this was my answer at the time, is Much Ado About Nothing. I would love to see <laughs> a Pratchett version of that where two unlikely characters are brought together while there's a serious subplot going on in the background. Um, it's got a lot of politics, uh, particularly gender politics in it. Yeah, I think I think that would be amazing. It could work so well in a Discworld context. And it's already a comedy, so I think I think it would be very easily adaptable. What about other authors, Liz? Would it be interesting to see him take on something like Pride and Prejudice? Oh, like, yeah, 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 yeah. That kind of – because that's sort of the era that the Discworld is heading into. And there's little yeah. elements of that, like any time we see someone from Quirm's Ladies College or anything like that. Yeah, totally. I would also absolutely love to see like the Hogwarts Quidditch team show up to Unseen University for a match and just the, the <laughs> disparity between the wizards. Like that would be pretty excellent. Yeah, taking on I think I think doing an adaptation of some other kind of magical tradition story would be great because we only ever <laughs> really see the Unseen University and a couple of you know, there's a little bit of, you know, fantasy voodoo style stuff in uh which is abroad. And there's, you know, the Australian wizards in Bugger Up University in uh, the last continent. But you don't, you don't really see other ideas about magic very much. And I think that would be super interesting. Absolutely. Okay, that's um, good. I think next question's one for you, Ben. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Pa- Patrick asks, are there any good Pratchett-based board or card or role-playing games? Uh, and he says, okay, this is cheating because I know the answer is not really. Okay, that's that's not true. That's not true. Um, I haven't played all the board games. I'm slowly trying to collect them. A lot of them are out of print now, so they're a little bit harder to get because uh, they had a limited run license. But I've heard that some of them are good. I hear the Clax game is reasonably good. Um, there's an Ankh Morpork one, that, or perhaps, perhaps it was the Witches one. I think it was the Witches one that was supposed to be very good, although not particularly strongly Discworld themed uh, in terms of how the game was played. And it's been republished under another name with a different theme now. I have a copy of Thud, the board game uh, that was bought for me as a present, uh, which is based on the sort of huffle-tuffle Viking board games. And I love it. I think it's really good. I'm not good at it. I've only played it a few times. It's a very different experience to chess, but if you want to envisage it, if you haven't read the book or you're not familiar with these styles of games, you have a board that's much like a chess board, although in the Discworld equivalent, it's got eight sides, so it's an octagon, and you have two teams of of pieces, which are not the same. So in the Discworld one, there's a team of trolls and there's a team of dwarves, and dwarves have a lot more pieces and they can move a lot faster, but it's a lot harder to take a troll off the board than it is to take a dwarf off the board. And you're supposed to play one game playing as the trolls, and then you swap around and you play another game playing as the dwarves, and then you add up the scores to see who won. I find it very difficult. I'm not a fantastic chess player. I'm a very average chess player. But I think it's a great game. I'm I'm really into it. Yeah. Excellent. So that would be my pick as the best one. But there's others. There's plenty of others. And Oh, and there is a part two to this question. Should we do that as well? 
Can I just say, um, was it, was it Cripple Mr. Onion? Why is that not a game? Oh, it so should be. Well, there are rules for it in one of the Discworld Companion books. Okay, because that's, that's the one that I would want to see in the real world most of all, I think, because you just want to be Granny Weatherwax owning everyone at Cripple Mr. Onion. Yeah, it does seem like a, a, a gimme that, that someone should design a deck for it and publish it with rules. Like, that would be such a great bit of Pratchett merchandise, like... Yeah. I would I would buy that. And even if it wasn't very good, like it would still be such a great artifact to have. Cuz the joke is that it's like complicated and all of that and probably like not feasible as a game, but I still think it would be fun to try. Yeah. Needlessly complex game, too many like cards that don't match and all kinds of things. It'd be great. Yeah. I think I think one of at least one of the fan-made sets of rules includes uh, one or more decks of regular playing cards and then one or more decks of tarot cards as well. <laughs> um, or possibly those Italian Death just ones. Death shows up. It's like you have to accidentally do like the, was the, the ritual of Ashka Ente to, <laughs> to, if you play the death card. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. now he also says, what would you like from a good Pratchett based board card or role playing game? So I'd love to see a role playing game. I mean, the video games are actually pretty good, by the way. Um, they're not role playing games, they're adventure games, but particularly the first one's quite difficult. The second one's quite difficult. They're both about rinse wind. The third one, which is called Discworld Noir, is an original story with an original character. So it's a bit of a spin off. But, uh, I, although I've never played it, I have heard it's fantastic. So, uh, I, I'm, I'm into that. But in terms of tabletop games, which is really what we're talking about. I think I'd like to see a game that is funny. There are games that are designed in such a way that when you play them, you just have a good laugh. And I think that's kind of essential to a good Discworld game. Like you could just get all of the lore right and make it feel like you were doing stuff on the Discworld. But unless you were also having a giggle at the same time, I feel like it'd be missing something. So I think that'd be the number one thing for me. And wordplay is something I'd want in there as well. Like the good wordplay. Mm. Even if it's just in some of the dialogue or in the names of characters or just how the cards are structured, mm. some wordplay. Totally. All right. I really want to get to the next question because I've got a. Uh, this sounds like a fun one. Okay. Not that these aren't fun, but I'm really excited. No, to no. The next I've, one. I've talked a lot about um, board games and uh, tabletop games in a non-tabletop podcast, so I'm well, well aware that I am I'm going out on a limb. So let's get to the next one, Liz. It's very zeitgeist. Um, so um, for the record, we're recording at the beginning of April in 2020. So for anyone listening to this later. And Patrick's question is, which of Pratchett's heroes would cope best during a period of social isolation and which would fare worst? Oh. So, yeah, I've been thinking about this one. Do you want to go first or shall I? Uh, you go first. I think Granny Weatherwax would fare the best because not only is she happy in her own company, she can borrow mines. So if she got sort of a bit cooped up she could go for a fly or for a hop or anything without actually leaving her home which would be very responsible totally yeah good one and i know that we are we've mentioned him a lot even though we're trying not to go forward the one who'd do the worst i think is moist one lipwig because he thrives off other people's energy oh that's interesting i i reckon nanny og would do terribly because she's so used to having this massive family around her at all times doing her bidding, living with her in close quarters. And I mean, you know, her whole house would be isolated together, I suppose, but she's still used to like popping around next door to her family. And she'd be one of those people who's, who would find it super difficult not to be hugging all of her grandchildren and uh, all the other kids in the village and seeing everyone all the time. Cause she's like the most social witch ever. She absolutely 
is one of those nanas that gets a viral video of their whole family gathered on the lawn with balloons for their birthday at a safe distance. <laughs> this is her being an influencer again, isn't it? Yeah, she absolutely <laughs> would be. Or the ones who like, like there's that charming one on Twitter where like a, a 94-year-old grandma gives a nice talk to her family over a video. And just, oh, yeah. the, the Scottish so one? There'd be a hedgehog song in there somewhere. It'd yeah. be a lot ruder. <laughs> it would, it would. Yeah. Mm. I, don't, I have a question for you, actually. Oh. How do you think veterinary would do with this kind of crisis no as in like how would he personally co- like as in like he'd handle it well like he would stop the virus in like 10 seconds but um mm, mm. in social isolation how do you think he would do that's a good question even dungeons and stuff so like he could train up some rats to do his bidding but yeah i feel like he'd be fine i think i think he'd he'd find all of the loopholes around it that didn't actually endanger anyone like he'd find a way mm. to send messages like he wouldn't stop getting information from the outside world. He'd just be doing it via other means. And he wouldn't be personally interviewing people in you know, as he likes to do. But I think he'd cope with that okay. Yeah, I think he'd do great, actually. I agree. Yeah. That was that was a good question though. Oh yeah. man. Also thank you, Patrick, for being the person to ask the topical question. We didn't have too many of those, which I think is is good, but it's nice to have one. Mm. Um, so next question comes from Yogbog. If you had to live with three characters from the Discworld, with whom would you live? Ooh. I got an answer. Yeah. As someone who's lived in quite a lot of share houses, some extraordinarily dysfunctional to the point of not being really believable when you talk about it in hindsight, um, and some really functional, I think I've got this down. So I, Mm. to live a happy life in a share house with some Discworld characters, that would have to be Granny Weatherwax, Vimes, Yep. And Carrot. Because Granny oh. Weatherwax and Vimes would keep to themselves. I think they wouldn't leave dishes around or be dysfunctional. They'd talk to you a bit, but not too much. Carrot would fill in the other half of that because you all need someone in your house that it is impossible to dislike as well. <laughs> so I think okay. you need like it's it's a beautiful puzzle piece that all fits together. You can't just have three thoroughly personalities because I'm I I think I would be a thoroughly personality in this household. Like I'm not unfriendly, but I think my best share house was the one where we were all friends, but we'd all listen out for each other if you were going to the bathroom to make sure you didn't run into each other and have to make small talk <laughs> on your way to doing something mundane. Oh, okay, yeah, right. But that's when you're living in a share house of like four people. If you live with one person, it's different. Mm. But, yeah, mm. so this is a, a four-person share house. You need the quiet ones and the lovable one, and I think that's my functional house in this squad. That's fair. That's fair. I went a bit of a different direction. I don't have any overlap with you. Um, I But then I, I kind of got two fairly easily, and the third one I'm not so sure about. But I, I would want to live with people who shared some of my interests. So you could spend some time together talking and doing stuff together, but also – are quite happy spending time alone because I think that's very important. So I feel mm. like Susan Stohelet mm. and Ponda Stibbons. <laughs> and then maybe I, I was really struggling for a third one, but now I think maybe maybe the librarian. Oh, yeah. I mean, you could never have bananas to yourself. But that's okay. I like bananas, but I can eat other things. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'll share I think the librarian would be a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you'd need a bit of a big house because uh, he'd want to roam around a bit, um, and you'd need a dedicated library room. But he could just sleep in there, so that's okay. Um, yeah, it'd be fine. Yeah, I think I, yeah, I think that's all I got with. Too. 
yeah, I'd be yeah. into it. Who else have we got? So one from Joel Molin. For getting into Pratchett, do you think it would be fair to categorize Discord novels into things like real-world satire, so soul music, um, moving pictures, or crime mysteries such as The Watch? If it makes sense, what categories do you see? Um, also, mm. as seemingly avid readers, do you have any Pratchettisms that you think other authors should copy or that you use in your own writing? Ooh. Well, I'm going to answer that second one first while my brain sort of ticks over the first one. But uh, mm. I I love the use of footnotes for comedic effect, and so few people do it. And um, Or even just like in novels in general, like people don't use footnotes in fiction very much, and I love it. I think it's one of the things I love most about Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell, the book, is that though there it's not really – well, it sometimes is, but it's not mostly used for comic effect. It's mostly used to sort of flesh out the theories of magic and the – the sort of literature behind that. Um, but I loved that. And uh, yeah, I would love to see that. And I've done that a bit in my own writing. I do use footnotes for comedic effect. Uh, so that's definitely one that I've picked up from him. I'd have to say footnotes as well, because that is one of the most distinctive things that wouldn't feel like stealing. Mm. Because if you, you can't copy things too closely, otherwise you're just writing in the style of Terry Pratchett. Yeah. So- I think the other thing is the blending between the narrative voice and the real world, uh, which he does so well. And I think I've mentioned this on a few episodes, but like he'll mention something in the prose of the, of the book where it's clearly part of the authorial voice. Um, and then, you know, a few pages later or maybe even like 20 or a hundred pages later, it'll come back, but in the voice of one of the characters. And it, he just, I mean, he writes comedically so perfectly. Um, with all these setups and, and callbacks. But I think that is quite a uniquely Pratchett thing that, again, I don't think I've seen a lot of other authors do, where there's that bleeding over from the real-world narrative voice into the fictional characters and the fictional world, um, just of little ideas and jokes and asides, and I kind of love that. I'd also like to see more jokes, I guess, in the world about what you'd find in a glove box. <laughs> yeah. I think that should be in more books. Yeah, that's a good yeah. one. Uh, yeah. But what about this first question? How would you sort them into categories, like genre sort of categories? Or It's like world issues would be one. Um, jobs like and occupations, because then you have things like going postal, the truth, um, mm-hmm. that kind of thing could be another one. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot where it is, and I think this is where he's going with real world satire, but there's that sort of, something from our world intrudes into the disc world um, that sort of comes up a few times. I kind of like that. Quest um, ones, because if you like the rinse one, rind ones are usually quest ones. Mm, that's true. Yeah. They're a bit, some of the later ones are a bit hard to categorize because no, even not all the watch ones are whodunits really. Yeah. Um, the jobs though is like a big thing because like jobs and industry. Hmm. Mm, that's true because he covers all kinds of jobs like there's journalists there's postmen there's um what else you got there there's uh uh bankers uh yeah there's uh train people yeah rail railway workers uh i think train people covered it (laughs) okay yeah train people covered it i'm sorry (laughs) you're right you're right railway workers you and your formal accurate language i'm sorry yeah i I like that i think it does make sense they kind of done that like if you see the most popular sort of illustration that goes around putting the Discworld series into sub series some of those kind of do come across that way like there's often a category that they get put into is the industrial revolution books and that they Mm. sort of start that with 
moving pictures, but then they put in The Truth and Monstrous Regiment and then the Moist von Lipwig books. There's an interesting sort of through line there, but it's not quite about that. What um, about the Enid Blyton ones? So like School Days, Pyramids, <laughs> Soul yeah. Music. There's like a bit of bit of that. Oh, like yeah, that's true. Yeah. Not full books, but sections of books. So, I mean, it depends on if you're doing clean categories or if you kind of want to lump books together in different ways. And mm. I think there is a case to be made for the, the Enid Blyton, Terry Pratchett books. Yeah. No, that's that's a, <laughs> that's an interesting one. I hadn't thought of that. I suppose equal rights could go in there as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Oh, well, look, I think if you've got at least three, then there's a category to be made. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Should we move on to the Facebook comments and questions? Yeah, yeah. Oh, strong start. Stuart Hodge is asking, is there one you're dreading? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, the only one I was really dreading was um, Interesting Times because I remembered thinking that I probably was not going to like the sort of setting. But I, it, But it wasn't quite as bad as... I remembered. I mean, the, the plot was fine and, the, and Rincewind was great and a lot of the characters were great. It's more sort of that sort of, it was really just hard to push past the real sort of pan-Asian mishmash of the way that culture was portrayed, mm. which I understand is, you know, not malicious, but just sort of a bit tone deaf. Yeah, I, I think that was the only one I was actively dreading. For me, the light fantastic because I'm worried I'll be bored. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm sure it's good. It's just... I was dreading the color of magic, and then we did it, and it was fine. And so now I'm dreading the light fantastic, and I suspect we'll do it, and it'll be fine. Yeah, no, I possibly think possibly even good. I think it will be fine. I I I enjoyed it. I, I remember enjoying it. I'm sure I'll enjoy it again. I, I I have really complicated feelings about the Shepherd's Crown, the final one, because I haven't read it. We've committed to doing it as the last episode of the podcast. And I have gone back and forth about whether or not I want to read it before then. I feel like I should because I, there's no way I'm going to last that long doing a Pratchett podcast without people spoiling elements of it for me. Mm. But I feel like I should read the other Tiffany Aching books before it so I sort of get up to it. So that might be something that I I might read them in advance. But I think that's the only other one because I know I'm going to have really complicated feelings about it. All right. Um, well, next question is from Caroline Cardinaletti. Which Discworld character would you most like to be stuck in quarantine with and which would be the worst? Oh, this is kind of like the housemates question. Yeah, but it's like housemates but more extreme because you can't leave and they don't go out for work or anything so it's like they're there all the time. Yeah, oh wow. Oh, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to say Nanny Og. I feel like, because if we go with the sort of standard at the moment two weeks of uh, isolation that we're talking about, I feel like I could easily get along with Nanny Og for two weeks and she'd oh, have so many not. stories. She would get so on your nerves. Like nah. She would be like, by day three, she'd be like, can I sleep in your bed? And then she'd, she'd eat cake on your sheets. Like, it, just, <laughs> it would be a whole thing. Like, she's a small doses friend. She's not someone you could spend a lot of time with, surely. Okay. No, you've turned me around on that almost immediately. That's that's very reasonable. <laughs> um Okay. And you would end up cleaning everything because she's very good at making other people do stuff for her. So you would you'd be doing That's everything. Okay. I mean, look, if I was stuck in quarantine, I wouldn't mind being told what to do, I feel. That'd be fine. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be doing anything else. <laughs> so that's fine. Meanwhile, me and Granny Weatherwax are having a great time. Yeah. Okay. All right. I see. I see. Ponda Stibbons again, maybe? Uh Yeah. Or maybe um, if he was still around, like I look, this is where, and, and I've been thinking about him a lot because we talked about him in our recent live chat um, with the Discworld clutch here in Victoria. But I think Constable Cuddy 
of the watch. Yeah. Cause he's yeah, just he'd be good. I just really liked him. Like he was a traditional dwarf, but at the same time, he's just really, just a really lovely person. You know, he had some trollish prejudices that he got over pretty quick. I feel like he'd be very affable and you get along with him for two weeks. No problem at all. And think about all of the dwarf bread you could Instagram. <laughs> well, we'd only need one bit, right? That'd last us two <laughs> weeks for sure. Yeah. But you'd, you'd want to do that thing like that, um, that long exposure of a McDonald's burger that doesn't decay. But with a dwarf bread. <laughs> oh, God. That would be like a million-year project, I feel. <laughs> uh, yeah, so like may as well. Yeah. Um, who, and who would be the worst one to be stuck with? Well, think? I, think you, I think you covered that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I've covered that very well. I mean, I mean um, look, there'd be heaps that would be terrible. But yeah. Moist would be bad. He'd be bouncing off the walls. Yeah, he wouldn't cope at all. Yeah. The next one is from Leanne Tonkin. Who is your favorite Discworld god, goddess, or small god? This is tough. They're so great. There's so many good ones. I am a big fan of um, Herny the Hunted and I, Mm. or Hearn the Hunted. I'm never quite sure if you're supposed to pronounce that E or not. And I think it's because he's such a cute mashup of of various things and a nice inversion of uh, a god that appears in many real world cultures. So yeah, I really like that. Um, It's really hard to go past a Neuer, you know? Who's the hangover one? Like the one that gets all the hangovers? The oh god of hangovers. I don't think he yes. ever gets a name. That, that one's mine, I think. He's pretty great. I do like the takes on the classical pantheon. Like Blind Io is awesome. I just really enjoy how interesting and original a take on kind of a mashup of Odin and Zeus he is and I kind of love that because you know as a kid mythology was one of my big things I loved Greek and Norse and Celtic mythology and he kind of blends two of those things together in a really clever and interesting way so he's he's certainly one of my favorites but then there's the lady as well she's pretty great she's pretty great um I think she'd be the one that I'd worship if I was living on the (laughs) disc although you're not supposed to so you know I'd do it do it in secret yeah I think if we had to worship one, it'd probably be annoyed because that's the one that you see all the time. <laughs> yes. But yeah, otherwise, we're going to go through the list and love all of them if we're not careful. So um, yeah. next question from Rin Betancourt. What is your least favorite Discord novel? And this one has an interrobang plus a question mark. So, I mean, to, mm. cause, which is how I feel thinking about this because I, I absolutely cannot pick one. It's so hard. I, I think because I had the most problems with it, Maybe interesting times, maybe, but it's still got so many good gags and so much interesting stuff in it. That's really hard. I mean, I'm going to weasel out of this one because by the by the same way I can't choose a favorite one, I can't choose a least favorite one because it fluctuates so often. Yeah. Like, if it was the one I'd least want to reread again, um, probably Color of Magic because I feel like I've done that and I've had enough, but that's not because it's bad or my least favorite. It's just... I've had enough time with it. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm going yeah. to weasel my way out. Okay. Well, I've given a answer that I'm not sure of, so I'm going to just stick with that and we'll move on. <laughs> this All is right. so hard. Why are you asking us the tough questions here, listeners? Yeah. Wow. I'm very grilled. We're going to have to do another one of these right near the end of the podcast. You know that, don't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Like well, how about every 30 episodes? We yeah, do episode one. 60. That's a good idea. We'll do it then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, next one's from Sarah Isabella. Favorite Discord animal? Oh, there's so many good ones. I got a real soft spot for the point three or three bookworm. Uh, <laughs> I mean, but also, but also, it's just hard to go past swamp dragons. You know, 
It's so cute. Yeah. All his animals are so charming, but what about um Cohen the Barbarian's horse? Horse donkey? <laughs> horse. Yeah. He's got a horse. Horse, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the talking horse. Yeah, he's pretty great. I do and like Gaspode. I like the hermit elephants. I can't remember if they've been in a book that we've talked about yet, but they they sort of they just go into like huts that people have built on the plains where they live and <laughs> just move in and they just carry them around on their backs. I just think that's adorable. Do you think they are the ones that Dibbler ordered for his movie that were on their way and they've just been let, let loose into the world? <laughs> could be, could be. Although they did, he some, ordered a lot. Yeah, uh, yeah, he did. And then, and then they turned up. We never find out what happened with that. I mean, I think this is the thing. Like, you often get questions and stuff like this. It's like, well, which bit would you like to find out? And I think the answer is really we don't need to. Like, anything that he left out, he generally did leave out for a very good comedic reason <laughs> because it's mm. more fun to imagine how awful that could go than any one version of how it could happen you know oh, the psychotic poodle that's in charge of like as in it's not my favorite oh, but it's a great character big, big fido isn't it isn't that his name yeah yeah he's great oh, yeah yeah i love it yeah very um, good oh the all the the talking animals in moving pictures like yes. the, the, the duck, like they've all gone a bit insane because now they can talk and think like people, but they they're not ready for it. Yeah, good boy, laddie. Hey, good boy, laddie. Yeah, <laughs> so good. Oh, there's so there's too many good ones. Again, hard, impossible to tell. That's a book I'd read though. Just all the animals. Oh yeah. And I wish some more of them would cross paths. I think. Yeah. And listeners, these are some good ones. We'd like to hear your answers. So, what's your least favorite Discord novel? What's your favorite Discord animal? Let's see if it's any easier for you to answer these questions. Um, and use that hashtag PrattChat30 if you're doing it on social media. Here's another great zeitgeisty one from Craig HP, um, who's a previous guest of ours. How would Ank Morpork handle lockdowns and self-isolation? We've already sort of mentioned I think the patrician would be bang on to it. Um, but yeah. I, but also I don't think he'd hesitate to implement like martial law. I don't think he'd have to, though. I think he'd find a way to incentivize everyone to stay inside. Mm. Which and you, is the better way to do it. I mean, I have to admit, I think that this situation would be a, an amazing Discworld novel, like a, yes. a version of it. Like, because you can just see, it would be a watch book and it would be about mm. the tension between the necessary decisions that had to be made to keep everyone safe, to reduce the loss of life and, and protect everybody as much as possible. But you know, you could just see also Sam Vimes getting out there and making sure that the rule of law was still being followed and that people weren't looting. Because also, you know, you imagine Ank Morpork, it's not a town where people do what they're told. And it's also so rife with crime that, you know, people would be taking advantage of the situation left, right and centre in really horrible ways, uh, but also really funny ways. I would love to see what the Elon Musk character would be like. <laughs> Oh, no, the Elon Musk of the Discworlds. Yeah, can you imagine? Oh, and no, he feels like he'd be one that, if he'd been around more when, when these books were being written, would have like been slotted in the background in, in like a bloody stupid Johnson kind of way. Like you just every so often see the aftermath. Yeah. Okay. I feel like, yeah, I'd right? have to read it, but I think, I think it would be an interesting book. I think they'd handle it well, cause I, and I think it's because of veterinary. I think he'd find a way to make it work without mm. having to do martial law because I think he would incentivize different things. But do you think also that he would get sick and you'd end up with a situation like Feet of Clay where there's not a clear 
leader because he's unavailable. Yeah, and maybe this is one where Moist would have to step up and that's where we could see that potential handover. Oh, happening. yeah, wow. And maybe maybe that would be Moist's next thing is to institute a hospital in Ankh-Morpork because there isn't one. Yes. So I feel like that could – maybe it's not a watch book so much as a Moist book, a Moist book. Yeah, that's <laughs> terrible. Uh, I think it would be a crossover. I think it would be a bit of both. But that's – oh, Okay, now I want to read that. Can we change our answer to the previous question about what what plot would you like to yeah. see? I think that I would absolutely be, want to read this one. I'm going to have to um, sit there just imagine it. Yeah, but I wouldn't want to read it for like twelve months from now. Like I yes, don't want no, I don't really want to read it want, now. I want to read it later. Read too much. Yeah. So we, we hope we haven't. I hope there's not too much reality in this part of the podcast. Uh, we'll continue. Aaron Bailey asked, with the technological advancements already witnessed, do you think eventually Discworld would have seen the invention of a flying machine? Other than the broomstick. Maybe. Yeah. I don't, I think it wouldn't work like, the same way. It's such a game changer in terms of what it does to your culture that it'd be quite hard to include. I agree with that. I think it would change the, the pockets of the Discworld too much, but also they've got magic. So I feel like they'd go magic transportation before flying machines. Oh, so it could be something more like... Um, Stargates. Or Jump, the Sean Williams series of YA novels, envisaging a future world where um, matter transportation is possible. I've got a question. Like, if if there were things like Stargate or something, like if the government, if all the world governments came together and said together, okay, we actually have Stargates and you can now use them to travel everywhere, would you? Yeah. Let's say everywhere within the world, not into other planets and stuff like like step through a wormhole instead of airplanes or whatever yeah yeah maybe yeah yeah i mean i'd want 15 years and then i'd do it yeah i'd want to know how it works it's interesting because the concept of being able to travel anywhere instantaneously i've always loved and i and i'm one of those if you ask me what superpower i would have it'd be teleportation i'd want to just be able to go anywhere i wanted to go in the blink of an eye i think that would be amazing but don't you find it scary though that like there's the philosophical argument that every time you do that you die and are reborn as a clone of yourself. Oh, that's a physical argument because if you look at the science of how matter transportation would have to work, that's absolutely what would have to happen. And I think that is a massive like impediment to using it on living things. Hmm. Because if you, you know, um, but also if the technology works the way that it would presumably have to work, um, you could be duplicated. Like they could end up being two of you. You know, you end up in a sort of a, a Will Riker, Thomas Riker situation from Star Trek, you know, for any Star like, Trek Or like listeners. that magician movie that this is a spoiler for, but yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, because yeah. that's how it would have to work. And, I mean, that story that you reference, which I won't name, deals with it in kind of a horribly gruesome way. It's an interesting question. If it was magic and it was you are actually you are transported to somewhere else, I think that would make it a lot easier to handle. What if you could just upload your consciousness temporarily to an avatar that can feel and see and everything, but it isn't actually your body, and then afterwards you can return to your own body? Like it's mm, kind of like that's weird being in a robot or what, like it was like literally the movie Avatar, I guess, which is yeah very flawed. But, uh, yes, but I I don't know, maybe maybe. But look to get to get back to the original question. <laughs> uh, although I th- I have really enjoyed this diversion, um, <laughs> I feel like it would be cool to see sort of early flight like non-magical flight, hot air balloons and like World War One era planes where it's not... Left brothers? Yeah. <laughs> I reckon, do you reckon it'd be dwarves who would do it? 
Absolutely. That would be, that would be funny. Be dwarves. Like a couple of dwarf brothers who not only like coming out from under the mountain, but also like going up into the sky. That would be amazing. Um, yeah. And they'd be pariahs in their own culture. Uh, but they'd be part of the future dwarves of Ankh-Morpork, I think. That would be great. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. yeah, that sort of early flight where it's useful for some things, but it's not like commercial passenger flight, you know? So it like doesn't completely change the way the world works, but it sort of assists with things. Hmm. All right. Let's, let's press on. We've got a few, a few questions left. Just a few. I know Funkenstein. Uh, or Eno Funkenstein, I apologize if I'm pronouncing your name wrong, asks, uh, Liz always says she hates the cinematic intro. Are there other runners or recurring jokes that you love or hate? Something that you guys said that I'd never really realized before was that these are the reason you can basically start reading anywhere in the series. Now, you do famously, as you mentioned in our last episode, hate the Cosmic hmm. Turtle intros. I kind of enjoy them. This has been done too many times. I'm just, and they're too long. And thank you so much for noticing. I appreciate my hatred being noticed. Um, that's, it's good. Well, it's, you, you've um, not made it subtle, is let's be honest. Yes, but I mean, the people have to know that it's boring. <laughs> I don't find them boring. But are there any other things that you see again and again? I, for me, I think it's when the same joke gets used. And one of the early ones that I spotted was the, um, and he always does variations on it. It's not the exact same joke, but he used the, uh, oh, what's it called? The, the animal that's like a, uh, lemming, but it's not a lemming. Mm. He used that like several times. Um, made of Glod is a good one. I don't know how running it is, but it's somewhat running. Yeah. It shows up in at least two books. Yeah. And, and of course, um, Things showing up out of nowhere, like the pantry and the glove box kind of thing. That That's a running sort of joke as well. Yeah, those sort of things where he takes something that we all sort of observe. It's kind of like observational comedy, really, a bit before its time, and sort of saying, oh, there must be a magical process that makes this happen because you always see it. And, of course, you don't always see it, but it feels like it because we notice it when it does happen. Yeah, I like that. Mm. I like yeah. that a lot. I can't think of any ones that I particularly hate. Well. Look, I might revisit that in a in a in one of our last oh. questions. I I like um the the classic villain tropes of Veterinary's office, like the the floor <laughs> that leads to things. Like that's through a few books. Yeah. And so yeah, like the classic things where the floor will give way or um was like a door that leads to nothing and that kind of thing. I, that, that's in a few books and I love that. And the idea that our heroic leader has all those awful things. Yeah, I quite like that. But he has that because it's, it's the expected and done thing of him as a leader, not because he wants to, I suspect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do like that a lot. Yeah. Uh, I kind of like how Vimes gets promoted against his will at the end of pretty much every book he's in <laughs> uh, and gets or, or gets like a, a grander title uh, and just has to lump it. I kind of do yeah. love that. And we've only read like the first three or four of the watch books and already it's he's, he's had enough. He's, he doesn't want to do up. it. He has, yeah. He hates it. And another one. Also, my unpopular opinion is the moist books are great. Any flaming hot takes slash wildly unpopular opinions about the Discord? First of all, I hadn't heard that the moist books are not great. I thought people loved them, so... Yeah, I I too don't understand this as being an unpopular opinion. But as to flaming hot takes, wildly unpopular opinions about the Discord, oof. I'm trying to think. Well, you hate I the mean, Cosmic Turtle intros, so... Yeah, that's true. I hate those, and I feel like that should be a popular take that everyone has. 
I think my slightly unpopular take is that the first three books are really, really good. They're just different in tone, and it's not Pratchett learning how to write. It's figuring out what he wants to write, which I think is kind of a bit counter to... Because some people, I think, just sort of go, are they great? And other people just go, they're terrible. I just think they're really different. Uh, Yeah, I, I'd, I'd run with that. And maybe also that the... His non-Discworld work is every bit as good as his Discworld stuff. Hmm. This is what I know we've, we've reread more, and I, I want to read it again to shore up his opinion, but I think I just don't like him. I don't like Mort. He doesn't seem like a nice guy, and I don't like that he ended up with Death's daughter because he didn't seem developed enough as a person, and he didn't seem like a nice guy, and especially the fact that they ended up keeping Susan away from Death. I think speaks poorly of him. So maybe that's my biggest flaming hot take is that Mort kind of sucks. I'd, I'd run with that. Yep. I'd Mort the ag- person, not the book. I agree with you. I agree with you. And I would also go as far as to say that certainly for the first half of his career, a lot of his romance is terrible. Yeah. He gets a lot better at it and there are some that just work really well, but there are, there are some he screws up. And we again, this is we've talked about this a little bit, when we first meet Vimes and Sybil, it's wonderful. Yeah. But then it just slips into this very traditional idea of what a marriage should be like and it sort of loses the magic that made it work in the first place. Even though to a degree it's written that she wants that, but I don't I, I don't want to see that. So yeah. Yeah. And it's also undercut a bit by some of the ways that they personally react to it. But yeah, it still starts out real strong and then and I think there's a reason that he doesn't write a lot of romances. I think Magret and Varence is a little bit the same um, in that it's kind of charming when it starts and then it kind of takes a left turn into this is this is going off the rails a bit. And I, I think it comes back again. And I'll be, I'm, it's one of the things I'm most interested in revisiting in Kappa Yagulam is where that ends up because I was at the time. Uh, in the last book, Lords and Ladies, I was a bit like, I'm not sure about this. Uh, but I think that book was so much about what their relationship was like and how it worked that that was quite interesting. Well, I think Magrat and Varence have the chemistry of a me, and that is funny if you know that I did not study chemistry at school. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. I'll pay that. I'll pay it. <laughs> oh, um, just while we're on that topic, though, a character I would have liked to see more of is Casanunda. I just remembered him. Oh, yeah. I think he yeah. does turn up at least once or once more. I think he might be in Kappa Yagulum, actually. But again, and, and but, look, I, listeners, when we speculate about this stuff, it's just because we haven't read the book for ages. We don't remember. But um, yeah, I, I, he's great. I love him. Yeah. And possibly own book material. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Imagine us, like, yeah, just a collection. It would have to be a collection of short stories, I think. <laughs> we'll have to rip on, like, Casanova's own memoir thing, like, and that's another way of tying in another writer's work to think like it answers a few questions. I think if we had a Cassinunder book. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. I think it could actually be like, maybe someone could actually write a bodice ripper, like <laughs> Discworld set comedy romance. Like I would read the crap out of that. I think that would be amazing. I'd watch the crap out of that. That'd be a good adaptation. Oh, well, I don't know if you've seen the the Casanova TV series, which has I David, have Tennant. David Tennant. It's not a million miles away from what I imagine it would be like. So we could just like retcon him as Casanunda, and there we go. 
Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I'm into it. Um, second to last question, I think we're up to. Yeah. This one's from Danny Sag. What was your biggest surprise from the books covered on the podcast so far? Oh, look, there's some that I did not remember well. Uh, I think for me, the, the last continent was a big surprise because I was like, wait a minute. I remember there being way more Mad Max stuff in this book. But actually, it's just heaps of Australian stuff just thrown at you constantly. That was a big surprise. Uh, mine is that I don't hate Rintwind. I really thought I did. I went into it being like, oh, this guy again, this, this hecking guy. And actually, I quite like him. And yeah. that's been a nice surprise because I was like, oh, I'm going to have to read all these Rintwind books. I'll tolerate it, but, you know, we'll fine. But actually, I quite like him. So I'm glad we did this because I think I could have lived my whole life not rereading his books because I thought I didn't like him. Actually, um, I do. So I feel like it enriched my life. I'm glad. I'm very glad. Yeah. Yeah, I think also Dodger was a big surprise to me because I didn't know anything really about it. Um, I thought it was more of a sort of a, a young adult audience book than I like targeted at that. than I really think it was having read it. Um, and I just really, really loved it. And I was like, Whoa, it, it's a Pratchett I haven't read, and it's so good. So, yeah, I really liked it. And it's one of his sort of much later books too. And, and you know, there's been some people who have said very disparaging things about his later work, and some people not even his, just his later work. Like some people feel he got, in, he got into a bit of a, um, a, a rut and sort of, sort of churned out stuff that was quite formulaic, and I don't agree with that. And I, I feel like um, Dodger was just such a nice – different kind of thing while still feeling incredibly pratchety that it was a real delight and a surprise to me. Yeah, I agree with that. And I don't, I don't really believe in the rut either. No. Now we did get also a Facebook message from a long time listener and, and commenter who sends us, has sent us many lovely messages, but has never sent one in that quite synced up with where we were at with the podcast. So, and, and this is one of the reasons why we wanted to do this episode is to give those people who can't get to the books and read them at the same time we are. And so they can ask questions about those specific books to give them an opportunity to send something in that isn't about a particular book. And so we got, we got a lovely couple of questions and a comment via a Facebook message from Claude, who's been listening for quite a long time. My general question is, does Ben actually like puns because he groans a lot and seems sad <laughs> when he makes them? Do they cause him physical discomfort? I'm interested in this answer too, actually. Uh, look, a little bit. I'm one of those people who <laughs> has always struggled with puns, but I think I once got to work with Sue Ann Post, who uh, is a great Australian comedian, and one of the things that she taught me is that a groan is as good as a laugh. <laughs> and puns really are that kind of grown thing where they're so clever, but at the same time, they are just, they, I say just, I know how much effort you go to with your puns, Liz, but <laughs> they are twisting words into a horrible knot. And once you see what the knot is, my involuntary, I'm one of those people who's involuntary It's not what it seems. It's just like, oh, no. Uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's for me to go, oh, but. I, the truth is I love them and I, I have, I have embraced my love of them, but I can't get rid of that visceral reaction. I will always react that way. And, and I want to assure you, Liz, that it's not just your puns. Uh, another comedian friend of mine, um, Beck Hill also has a tremendous love of, um, shall we say horrendous puns. Um, I also have wow. listened to, uh, I say horrendous. I don't mean bad. I mean, like they're really super punny and tortured. Because I think I think that's the thing. Like the 
the thing that gets me, and maybe this is what gets everybody who reacts this way to puns, is the the torturous lengths to which you go to twist the language to make the pun work. And like your your standalone puns are an exemplary example. That is a terrible use of that word, but you know what I mean. They they really because you do these great little short tweets and short little Facebook posts, which are entirely constructed just to justify the pun at the end. And 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 I and I salute you for that. But I also look at it and I'm just like, wh- why? <laughs> uh, but at the same time, it's I important. love it. Uh, impuntant? That's not a pun. Oh, dear. No, no. See, this is why I'm not very good at them, I think is the reason why I groan uh, when I make them. But I do enjoy them. And, and working with you, I definitely, my tolerance for puns has increased immeasurably. <laughs> I'm like a vaccine for puns. You are. You are. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Next question from Claude, though, is a really interesting one, mm. which is, which of Dibbler's many schemes would you fall for? So Claude is, would be super tempted by the snow globe one. How are mm. you, Ben? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I, I like a good knickknack, and the snow globes were kind of a bit supernaturally attractive. This is uh, from Reaper Man, the weird subplot that doesn't really connect to the other half of the book at all. Um, <laughs> the uh, But, I yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I would go to a Music with Roxin concert. And I would go to see a moving picture. So I don't know if I could pick one out of those three. I would probably go work for him in moving pictures. That's what I would do. I'd be one of those aspiring actors. I don't know what kind of role I'd end up in. I'd probably be like a slapstick comic actor <laughs> or something. I don't know. You'd end up in lots of roles, like nonstop roles. Yeah, maybe. I mean, they're yeah. not they're not talky. So yeah, it'd have to be silent film style comedy, which I you I don't do face acting. Uh, well, yes, and that's important. I hope so. Films especially. <laughs> yeah. I would love to see a Discworld equivalent of the radio. Huh. Moist that... on the Pig again. Yeah. He would be involved for sure. Ooh, but also with William DeWord. Yes. Yes. And and like doing pulling an Orson Welles, you know? Yes. Like doing a um equivalent of War of the Worlds. Actually that could yeah, be veterinary would be behind it. Yeah, I mean the the speaking of the snow globes, that's kind of the closest thing to an alien invasion, or that that or the elves that the Discworld has seen. But you could do a much more traditional kind of how would the Discworld cope with alien invaders kind of mm. storyline, which could be hilarious. Sorry, I, you were going to add something though. Which which scheme do you think? I am horrified to announce that I know for sure that the one I'd fall for is sausage in a bun. Like. <laughs> I'm- I would a hundred percent buy one and be like, "Oh, this is the worst thing I've ever eaten." And then, like three months later, be out and be like, "I'm hungry. Oh, it surely can't be as bad as I remember." And it would just get me again and again and again. But I think if we're honest, all of us would do that. I mean, the only reason I would be immune is because you know I don't eat meat anymore. But that's you know, there's probably not meat in them. I well, possibly, possibly <laughs> the case. Uh, then maybe I'll get away with it. <laughs> But yeah, that's definitely the one I'd fall for and I wouldn't stop falling for no matter what happened. That's good. Mm. Now, Claude also has sent in a wonderful comment, which I think we should read. Um, and I feel a bit, I don't know about how you, how you feel about this, Liz. I feel a bit self-conscious reading it because it is it is very lovely. But I mm. also feel like if people send us something like this, it, we we should read it out if it's for general consumption. Mm. Uh, so I'm going to read it with that sort of, self-effacing preface um Mm. but this is this is what claude sent through uh this podcast feels like homecoming for me 
Ben, Liz, and whatever guest feels so familiar and comforting to me that I forget you don't know me and can't answer back when I reply out loud while listening to the podcast. I love the balance of being an adult podcast that values respect and inclusion above being edgy or gimmicky. I adore the diverse voices of your podcast. It's so easy to follow the discussion because you don't always have the same personality or voice a million times over. And yes, this is an issue for me on other podcasts. There's still one that I can't always tell two of the three hosts apart from each other. I've I've had that problem too, Claude. Yeah. The re-listening value of each episode is high and I adore going back. The jokes are still funny, the flow's still good, and there's such damn quality work. Thank you for bringing us into your book club and being a home for genuine, inclusive, as in not competitive or exclusionary, kind and fun love of Terry Pratchett. Um, and Claude, I look, I don't want to speak for both of us, Liz. I'd love to know what you think about this comment. But um, I was quite moved because that a lot of those things are things we have consciously tried to make Pratchett do. And I, I'm so glad to know that, at least for you, Claude, that they are working that way and that you feel that way about the podcast. So thank you so much for letting us know. Yeah, I'm I'm not good at expressing when things are nice. Like I'm terrible at taking compliments, but that's just so lovely to hear. We do get nice messages sometimes, and it does mean a lot. Because we do put a lot of work into it, um, and it's nice to know that it's resonating and and being heard. So um, I mean, and I every so often think about comments that we've gotten on Twitter or in emails and stuff. And it actually sometimes makes me feel good in times where I might not otherwise do. Like there's one comment we got and I know it was just a, it was a fun throwaway comment. And I think it was from a chew and sneeze. And it was when we released an episode and it was all right, come on dogs. It's time to go for a checks length of podcast, three hour walk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I saw that one too. Uh, And I think about it all the time. Like I think about all the comments often because they mean so much um, and I'm not good at expressing that in words um, and if mm. I'd read it out it would have sounded sarcastic when it's extremely the opposite of that so thank you Claude and thank you to everyone who listens whether or not you send us comments or not it's nice to know that there are other people out there who feel like we do about Terry Pratchett and want to discuss it yeah and it you know it really is it's so nice to hear those things because podcasting such a weird medium like as someone whose background is primarily in live performance and being used to that immediate visceral feedback of I made a joke and the audience laughed so I know they're having a good time to go to this format where you know we're talking to each other and we're getting a reaction from each other and from the guest but we don't know what the reaction of people listening at home is so if you're enjoying it we're so pleased um and if you ever let us know that really makes our day um and I'd encourage you right now to do that, not just for us, but anybody, particularly podcasters, mm. but also authors or actors who are in TV shows that you like, YouTubers, anybody whose work is broadcast out to you in some kind of recorded format, they don't always know if it's landing. And mm. even if they get like a million views, if nobody ever sends a message to say, you're doing a great job, I really appreciate what you do, they don't know. And every one of those messages, certainly for me, means a lot. And I know I'm certainly going to try and send some more of those, particularly while, you know, so many artists are experiencing a lot of hardship right now. I think the least we can do is is make sure they feel appreciated. So I want to thank Claude and everybody else who's ever sent us a nice message or a question or supported us on the podcast, because it means 
the absolute world to us. It also means a lot to know that we have a little community of people who love mm. Terry Pratchett and listen to our podcast. It's, yeah, it's wonderful to be part of. So should we round out on kind of a question, but more of a comment? Mm-hmm. Yes. What? What's? The, what's? Did we miss one? What's the last thing? This one's from the Hail and Well Met podcast. It's, I've got a question. What is your favorite quote from Weird Sisters and why is it, when shall we three meet again? I can do next Tuesday. <laughs> Cheeky. Cheeky <laughs> question. One of the things we always do at the end of each episode or towards the end before we get to the questions is just read out a few of our favorite quotes. And I think maybe this is just a good opportunity to just just pop out a couple of our favorite ones that we like that maybe we haven't got to or we just want to revisit. Do, are there any? What, which one would you say again, Liz? So I haven't gone through my books. So I decided to go with the ones that have stuck in my head, um, and it is the Boots Theory of Economics, which I will not read in full. I think we've put in the show notes. And then I think the quote that has stuck with me the longest is, he could think in italics, such people need to be watched, preferably from a safe distance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that is good. That is very good. I mean, this so true. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it is. I mean, there's no short. There's so many things. It's so hard to pick one. It's interesting because when people want to sum up, and I know I talked about Douglas Adams quite a lot this episode, but it's because I think you know there's there's few authors who occupy a similar kind of niche in the greater consciousness of humor and sci-fi or speculative fiction writing who also have that sort of humanist bent. I think it's natural to think of the two of them in some ways together, even though their styles are quite different. But I think when people want to sum up Douglas Adams, they often refer to the line, the ships hung in the air in exactly the way that bricks don't, Um, Mm. which is just such a, it really does sum up a lot of what his like humor was like and his style of writing. And I just find it very difficult. And if any listeners have, if if you're listening to this and you know the perfect line that anytime someone says, what's Pratchett's humor like, that's the one you think of. I would love to know what it is because I've tried thinking about this and I have really struggled. Uh, I mean, there's, cl- I think the classic one that illustrates his humanism is absolutely the Vimes boots theory of economic unfairness. Uh, from Mm. Men at Arms, which we talked about in our very first episode. You know, that just really sums up what he thinks in so many ways about the politics of regular people and the unfairness of the world. That's a classic one for that. But in terms of a classic one that really illustrates his jokes, I just am never quite sure what the best one is. I just don't know. Mm. That's okay, because we've got another 30 episodes to think about it if you don't come up with one now. Yeah. Good. Good. Okay. All right. Excellent. Well, that kind of brings us to the end of the episode. And and usually what we do at this point of the episode is we usually plug whatever our guest has got going on. But I thought, you know, being the sort of situation that we're in and the fact that we don't have a guest today, this is when we should plug our own work. So Liz, if people want to find out more about you and your writing or just find you online and enjoy your amazing puns, where should they go and what are you working on at the moment? I guess Twitter is the place to find most of my stuff. Like every day I will pretty much share at least one pun. Um, mm-hmm. And also if I've written anything, an article or anything, I'll put it up there as well. Um, so Twitter, which is just at Elizabeth Flux, is where I can be found most often. Um, I'm also on Instagram. It's a very different vibe there. I'm currently very socially isolated so i'm just doing this thing where i wear different clothes that are just too uncomfortable to wear out of the house (laughs) 
take photos of them and be like, look at these clothes I own that I can never wear anywhere that finally get to get out of the cupboard. So, um, yeah, that's not really my work, but, um, that's, that sure is something I'm doing, but mostly I'm working on articles on all kinds of different topics and I share those on Twitter whenever I write them. So if you're interested in reading about graveyards, about interviews I do, about books, about pretty much anything, Twitter's where to find it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And how about you, Ben? How do, how do people find what you're working on or what, what's your big thing at the moment? Well, my two big things at the moment, apart from Pratt Chat, I work for a place called 100 Story Building, which is a creative writing center for children and young people. And, you know, obviously at the moment we can't do what we normally do, which is go out to schools or have kids come to the building to do creative writing workshops with us. So myself and my two fellow facilitators, Brendan and Laura, are creating a bunch of online content going out via the 100 Story Building Twitter and Facebook. So if you've got kids at home or if you're just really bored yourself at the moment, particularly over the school holiday period here in Victoria, which is the first uh, few weeks of April. So that's that's uh, largely what I'm doing work-wise. But the other big project I'm working on is Night Terrace, which we, you know, we have talked about on the podcast before, hmm. which is a, a radio comedy, which is kind of like an Australian comedy version of Doctor Who. Um, hmm. But if you want to find out any of my stuff, uh, you can just find me at benmckenzie.com.au. There's also some stuff about my game design there. Uh, if you want to get into Dungeons and Dragons, there's some good resources for beginner players there. Uh, just I'll give that a plug because I think a lot of people might enjoy getting into that at the moment. It's uh, one of the easier games to play uh, over video chat. And um, yeah, you can find me there. Uh, and links to all my projects and stuff. And I'm on Twitter as well, Mackenzie um, underscore Ben on Twitter or on Instagram, not on Gotham, um, hmm. because there's a more famous Ben McKenzie who is on Gotham or was. This show's over now, so I might have to it? change it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the fifth season was like a year or two ago now. It's just so camping over the top. I kind of love that. Oh, it's very good, yeah. Yeah, it's glorious. I think that really does bring us to the end. We can't leave, though, without a big thank you to our supporters and that includes everybody who listens to the podcast but particularly anyone who takes the time to give us a review or a rating on whatever podcast platform you use like uh, apple podcasts or google podcasts or spotify or anywhere it really does help people find us also some people do support us monetarily and we do really appreciate that it's not free to host and make a podcast it takes a lot of time and resources and we couldn't do it without you so we really really appreciate that um, but we will be back next month for Pratt Chat 31 in May and Liz we are going to do the book we announced previously yeah The Long Earth first one in the series that he wrote with Stephen Baxter yeah and I I've started reading it and I, I don't want to no spoilers but I'm I'm kind of enjoying it uh, I wasn't really sure what to expect so I'm really looking forward to talking about it next episode yeah I haven't started it yet and I'm kind of See, I'm used to kind of finishing it in the car outside your house before I walk in to record the episode. So, um, <laughs> nice to have a bit more time to read yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Okay. Good. Good. I'm glad this to one. know you approach this with a professional mindset, Liz. <laughs> I do. I uh, like to have it fresh in my mind. That's true. I don't you, want to forget any details. I mean, you do, you do read a lot of books. That's fine. I understand. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, listeners, for sticking with us for 30 episodes. There will be at least 30 more because we've got at least 30 more books to read. And we'll do another retrospective like this when we hit number 60. But until then, in the words of one of our supporters, Brendan, who is a doctor, please stay at home, read Terry Pratchett, wash your hands, and be kind. Be kind.
You've been listening to Pratchat, the monthly Terry Pratchett Book Club podcast with Pratchatters Elizabeth Flux and Ben McKenzie. That's me. Pratchat is produced and edited by me with music by David Ashton of Sample and Hold Studios. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Pratchat Podcast and listen to past episodes and support the production of new ones via pratchatpodcast.com. Join the conversation for this episode using the hashtag Pratchat30. Pratchat is brought to you by Splendid Chaps Productions. We make entertainment for your ears, like the Doctor Who podcast Splendid Chaps and time travel comedy series Night Terrors. To find out more, visit SplendidChaps.com.